You're listening to the Max Level Podcast for November 19th, 2018. On today's show, the crew goes in-depth with Fallout 76 and Spyro Reignited Trilogy. Is a discless Xbox One arriving in the near future? We go over all the major deals you can expect to find in stores on Black Friday, reminisce about gaming magazines, talk about the breaking news of Sony skipping E3 2019, and have a heartfelt discussion on what games we are thankful for. All this in the usual segments on today's episode of the Max Level Podcast. On with the show. Honestly, did you hear about the uh, cheese factory that exploded in France? We're not doing this again this week. There was nothing left but debris. We're not doing this again this week. <laughs> Dude, take a look. I know, I, I know you can't see it right now, but I showed you earlier, but take a look at that battle wound on my arm. It's pretty, uh, pretty crazy. Ended up falling down the stairs. Well, not all the way down the stairs, but I was carrying two of our dogs down the stairs and uh, ended up slipping. And luckily, one of them stayed in my arms. The other one... Um, our Pekingese kind of like slipped out at the very end and landed on his butt and he kind of like he kind of like yelped out but he wasn't like hurt he just kind of I think it startled him more than anything because he didn't know okay? what was going on yeah he's fine he's fine but uh, that was fun I I landed like I, I crashed into our vacuum cleaner because I was at the bottom of the stairs I completely broke that <laughs> uh, besides my arm I banged up my back and my I like I busted my head open a little bit but um, still a little sore today because that was literally yesterday the of recording. Your pride. no I don't give a crap dude yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you had any of that <laughs> yeah that doesn't bother me at all no I just uh, I'm still a little sore though because as day of recording as, as everyone knows we record these on Saturdays uh, this just happened yesterday on Friday so uh, hopefully by the time you're listening to this on Monday I'll be feeling a bit better but if you didn't know this is Max Level a video game podcast founder right here at Level Down Games. I'm Brian, joined as always by the self-proclaimed king of Long Island, Frank. Hey guys, remember, don't trust Adams. They make up everything. Special shout out to Dance with the Dead for allowing us to use their music for our videos. Everyone absolutely needs to go check these guys out and support their music. They'll be found on Bandcamp, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, but pretty much everywhere. Check them out. You will not be disappointed. And before we forget, Max Level and Level Down Games is entirely self-funded as a passion project. If you'd like to see it continue to grow and become something even bigger, consider supporting us through one or all of the affiliate links listed in the description of this podcast. It would mean the absolute world to us. Do you know what else would mean the absolute world to us? Leaving us a rating and a review, especially if you're listening through iTunes. So if you've if you've subscribed to us through uh, Apple Podcasts slash iTunes, go to our max level feed and BG Mania if you really want to be courteous and leave us a five star rating if you enjoy us and leave us a review. That way, when people search for a new video game podcast, the max level podcast will show up in their search results. So that way more people can find our show. Um, speaking of our show, I think it's I think it's time we have to start mentioning this because we have about a month and a half left until I'm going to actually want to do this. Uh, I want to get us on an actual podcast host. So as, as of now, I've been kind of doing it by myself through through leveldowngames.com. Uh, I haven't actually decided where I'm going to go yet, whether it's Podbean, whether it's I don't know. I just but I want to get an act on an actual podcast host that is better able to give us analytics that we can actually really dive deep into seeing everything about our shows right now. I just have a generic feed burner thing and the 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 stats fluctuate on a daily basis. And I know that's not accurate. Uh, 
So I want to get us on an actual podcasting host, but they do charge per month. So that's why I've just been kind of reluctant to do that. But I think it's time now our shows are big enough that I should possibly be doing that. Starting for Max for the Max Level podcast, starting on January 7th, 2019. So you have a month and a half. Make sure starting that first Monday in January that our episode goes up. Make sure you're looking at your podcast feed. If you do not notice an episode by halfway through the day, Monday, January 7th, double check and make sure there's not a new Max Level podcast feed. If everything goes according to plan, everything will transfer over. Your subscription will transfer over normally and you won't have to resubscribe to the Max Level podcast through your podcast app. If things do not go according to plan, you may have to resubscribe. So make sure you're watching your podcast feed. If you don't see a new episode of Max Level, make sure you resubscribe. Otherwise, you will no longer be a subscriber to our podcast, which would greatly break my heart. So uh, so make sure you're watching your uh, your podcast feed. And if you do not see an episode of Max Level uploaded by Monday afternoon, starting in 2019, resubscribe because that's going to uh, that's going to be the the life or death of, of the show is is you as a listener. So make sure you do that. That sound, though, means it's time for some campaign games. And we got two to talk about. I will preface this by saying Pokemon being saved for next week. I know, Frank, you're, we- you're wearing the Pokemon hat. You got the Pokeball sitting there next to you. I haven't had a chance to play it yet. I do have my copy over there. I know you bought Let's Go Pikachu. I bought Let's Go Eevee. It's sitting right over there. I want to dive deep. You've played like 14 hours over the past day. I want to take the time and really dive deep into it myself. So we're going to save that for next week because there's two major games that came out this week, one of which I spent the most time in. So I want to kick campaign games off this week with fallout 76 a game that i know you want to get so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that for a little bit and and maybe you will be enticed to pick this up at the next chance you can and jump in with us because i've been having a lot of fun the first thing oh asap yeah 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 yeah. the first thing i want to talk about is the single player experience versus the group slash team based experience so i've had a significant amount of time played both single player and with a group Um, either by myself or I played some with Sean and Justin. For those that used to watch us on Twitch, you'll remember them. Um, Boom Doggy was Sean Z and uh, Backlash Wave was Justin. So if you used to watch a stream Dead by Daylight and that kind of stuff on Twitch, then you've seen them. But I've had a chance to play Fallout 76 with both of them. Not at the same time, unfortunately. We never haven't been a group of three yet, but I played for about six or seven hours with Sean one night and I played with Justin for about two hours another night and I have played with myself uh, often. No, I was kidding. Often. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to do it. So that's why I jumped in first, but I've played with myself for about 10 hours in Fallout 76. Um, Practically blind. After doing all of that, after doing all of that, I'm still only level 11 because I've been exploring a lot. This game is massive and there's so many things to do. So it is a bit more challenging if you play as the single player game. It's a bit more challenging because the 
areas. The world was designed with a shared world experience slash MMO in mind. So, you know, you're going to walk into an area and you'll see a bunch of super mutants or a bunch of feral ghouls or a bunch of scorched. And even though there might be lower level than you, like I'm level nine walking in those level sixes everywhere. When there's seven of them running at you at once, it's still a bit challenging. And Ammo seems to be fairly easy to come by, which is a good thing because you can always you can always craft more if you need it. But um, it definitely seems like it's easy to find out in the world as well. But I've been trying to save ammo for, you know, the higher level stuff or the instanced stuff or where I'm really in a pinch. And I've been trying to use my melee weapons just for like low level enemies and stupid things like that. But there will become times when I'm just overwhelmed and I'm like dying and literally using a stim pack every three seconds to keep myself alive. And uh, stim packs are not easy to come by. So, yeah, they never were. And they they still aren't in Fallout 76. Um, You can purchase them from vendors. If you have the appropriate materials, you can craft them. But uh, finding them out in the world is, is not an easy task. So. Uh, you'll be lucky to uh, to stay alive at certain points. And and dying is the name of the game, really. It, it's an MMO. So you're going to die a lot. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've died in World of Warcraft. Oh, well, I would never die. Well, you, you're going to. But um, but that's just they expect you to. And it's it's done very much like uh, Conan Exiles. So Fallout 76 is a good mix or mashup of the traditional fallout experience with an MMO like World of Warcraft or Final Fantasy mixed with a shared world game like Conan Exiles, a survival type of a game. When you die, much like Conan Exiles, you have to go back to the last point that you died and pick up all of your stuff. If you don't, someone else can do it. So you definitely have to go back and pick up your things. Now, you won't lose your weapons. You don't lose your weapons. You don't lose your ammo, that kind of stuff. When you die, what you lose is your crafting material. So you have to go back and pick up all your stuff. Otherwise, you have to start fresh with all the crafting material. So it's highly recommended you go back and get your things. Otherwise, it's hard for you to build. It's hard for you to repay your items or it's hard for you to to craft anything. So so you definitely want to do that Um, when you're playing with other people, though, there are certain issues that need to be fixed. One of them being the UI. It's too clunky and too slow, and it takes forever to catch up progress and quests and what you're doing, especially if you have someone with you that's still doing the quests as well. So if you open up your map, like your world map, and say I have a quest that I have to search an area, and on the map there's a big yellow circle highlighted in the area that I need to search. Okay, I find the item. I'm playing with Sean. Sean is still looking for the item like he knows where it is because I just found it and it's just in the same spot. So he's heading towards it. But if I open my map, that yellow circle is still there because Sean still hasn't found the item. So if I'm playing with random people because you can group up with randoms in the game and do things. I see all this progress on my map that isn't mine. And I don't think that should be the case. Like in World of Warcraft or Final Fantasy 14, you should only have to track your own. Only track your own because that's how most MMOs work. Once I finish a portion of the quest, even if Sean or Justin or whoever hasn't finished it yet, I can tell they're still on that portion because it'll tell me. But I don't see their progress on my actual map throwing me off because now I have their progress for that quest plus the next area I'm supposed to go to for that quest. I have two separate things on the map for that quest. Very, very, very not intuitive so i don't know what they were thinking when they did that um and then like i said it just takes forever like if if somebody finishes a portion of the quest before i do 
and I get credit for it, like say you just had to open a terminal and read something, but and that'll that'll work for everyone in your team or your group that everyone will get credit for it. It'll take sometimes two or three minutes for the UI to catch up and say that the quest has been completed and the next step to show up. So it's and it's not just lag. I don't know. There's something server wise that's slowing it down. And I don't know what it is. Um, One thing I will praise them about, though, is their their servers and their shards. So, you know, like Final Fantasy 14 has servers that you can log into or World of Warcraft has servers that you create your character on and log into. The way Fallout 76 works is you just make your character. And every time you log into the game, it puts you on the next available server. So everything you do stays with your individual character. When you log out of the game, your base, your camp goes with you. Nothing's like nothing stays in the game once you log out. When you log back in, your camp and your safe, your your, your base, everything just respawns in the area you last set it at on whatever server you're logging into. So they have so many different servers and it's only like there's only a set number of people that can be on a server or shard at one time. So once that server is full, they'll open up a new one and then people start logging into that one. And once that was full, they start logging into that one. And then when people log out of other ones, they start logging you in that. So it's like it's like a tiered system. So like they open one, they say there's 30 people Then they open two, there's 30 people. Well, one person logs out of the first one. So the next person that logs in gets put on the first one and then they open a third one and so on and so forth. So it actually works really well. And uh, that means your base can only be attacked when you're online so that you don't have to worry about that when you're playing the game. Um, you don't have to worry about logging in and making sure your base is still okay. Like you didn't code in exiles, which is why we no longer play because our massive base and everything that we had got destroyed because we stopped playing for a little while. And and now I don't want to get back to it because everything we've done is, is destroyed and lost. So it's not fun. Um, but yeah, really, really enjoying that aspect of, of the game was the way that the servers work. Uh, quests are really hard to find, which I was not expecting in Fallout 76. So the mainline quests are really easy because once you finish one, it gives you the next one and there's breadcrumb quests to follow. But in order to do the side quests and that kind of stuff, there's nothing that points you to some of these quests where you should be going. And Justin and I were actually talking about this. Like you literally have to stumble upon them in the world by chance. And whether that's going into a house, opening a terminal and a quest starts. And it might be the most interesting quest. Well, in the that's, world. Always that's not how MMOs work, though. That's how Fallout works. That's yes and no. Fallout 4 led you to areas where you could find these quests. There were also random things that would appear along the way. Like if you went somewhere and like a dog walked by, that might be like a, a new yes, quest. Yes, but there was a set path or way you could be going to ensure that you would come upon these quests. Not the case in Fallout 76 because it's an open world. I mean, obviously, Fallout 4 is Fallout 3 was kind of open world. Fallout 4 is very open world. But um, this is a shared world MMO where things can be killed and have to wait to respawn. So if you don't know that something is is there as you're walking by and someone's already killed it or looted it and you have to wait for it to respawn, you'll never know. And where these like. As I said, like Final Fantasy 14, World of Warcraft, most traditional online games, they don't leveling up is the name of the game. You have to be able to level up killing enemies. You cannot level up in Fallout 76 that way. You can. It's going to take you years to do it, but you can you can do it that way. Questing and doing events are the way to level up in Fallout 76, specifically events. Events are really easy to level up through. Um. But questing is the other way. And if you don't know where to find a lot of these quests, you will never 
level up. So I think that's just a big issue is that they need to do something to and, and World of Warcraft's gotten really good about it on the map for like on your on your world map for Warcraft. There will be a yellow exclamation point in an area. And that means there's a quest somewhere over there that you can do. It won't tell you exactly where, but there's a quest over there. But then when you get to that area, there's a big giant yellow exclamation point above somebody's head. That, oh, that person has a quest. So once you get to that area, it's pretty easy to find. Make sure you're eating and drinking because you have to do that in this game. Okay, cool. Awesome. That, that was survival mode. Yeah, because it, it's it's um, yeah, because Fallout 4 did add that eventually, didn't they? Yeah. But but it's it's like if you think if you never played survival mode in Fallout 4 and you've played games like survival games like Conan Exiles, you have to eat, you have to drink because you're you're eating your your health will slowly start to deteriorate. You'll get thirsty. You'll start starving. Um, so you have to cook food. You have to boil your water. So, yeah, you definitely want to be eating and drinking um, you like every five to ten minutes you have to eat and drink. So it's it's a little wow. bit it's a little bit too much, but. It's still it's it's easy because you can find enough stuff and uh, the map is huge. So the, the game is massive. I'm having a lot of fun with Fallout 76, uh, even though I have some complaints. I, I This obviously is the first time Bethesda is jumping into like an, an online experience and MMO. So we'll give the we'll cut them a little bit of slack. It took Blizzard a while to get Warcraft to the, you know, to the peak of MMOs and yet be at the top. It took Square Enix a few tries to get Final Fantasy 14 to be good. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll cut them some slack and let them do updates. What? Music. How's the music? Um, it's Fallout. It's uh it's it's basic Fallout like background music. Uh, nope. unless you, you can you can turn on the radio and listen to like classic music and that kind of stuff. Uh, I have been really mostly playing the game with the volume off and listening to podcasts, which is usually what I do when I play MMOs. Like when I play Warcraft uh, the first time through, I'll listen to the soundtrack, listen to every, like the music in every area. But as I keep playing, I literally turn the game music off and the volume in the game off. And I'm either listening to my own music on Spotify or listening to podcasts through my phone. So there's and that's what I've been doing in Fallout 76. Now, once I realized the music was mostly just atmospheric and kind of like background ambiance, um, I turned on the radio for a little bit, listened to the classic station and then realized that my time would be better spent listening to podcasts and catching up on certain things. And and obviously that way, you know, I, I like listening to other podcasts to know what I can do differently for our shows. So that's why I'm listening to so many different shows. But yeah, music is uh, it's very Fallout, though. So uh, hopefully you will uh, have a chance to jump in. Now, I do know I do not believe it is cross play. So if you do buy this on PS4, you will be just at the at the mercy of whoever is on your server. Um, Sean, Justin, and I are playing this on PC and I and I do think most people are playing this on PC. I haven't seen too many people playing it on consoles. Um, it, this is definitely a PC game, so I, I would highly encourage you to pick this up on PC when you do buy it. All right. Uh, the other game I want to briefly talk about here for campaign games is Spyro Reignited Trilogy. Shout out to our friends over at Activision. They did send us a copy of the game, but they sent it to us on release day. So I haven't had a really a whole lot of time to to play the Reignited Trilogy um, before the time of recording, because there's three games in the trilogy, obviously Spyro, Spyro 2 and Spyro Year of the Dragon. Uh, the only one I've played so far is the first one, Spyro the Dragon. And uh, fantastic. Oh, my God. I'm loving it. So comparing it to the original game, when I first got into Spyro one on the PlayStation one, 
I felt like I was booting up Mario 64 all over again. Yes. Because of the hub world and how fun it was just to run around the hub world, kill the enemies that were there, burn the sheep, climb stuff and just run around and like burn the grass. That's been made better in the remaster. And and technically it's a remake because of how I mean, you can like a remaster wouldn't look this good. Much like the Crash games, they're basically like full remakes. Oh, so this is ground up, just remade. Yeah, yeah, basically it is because the game is gorgeous. Uh, looks better than the Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy from last year. Uh, everything is just so well done. Uh, and, and I just was like, I felt like a freaking kid opening up my Nintendo 64 and playing Super Mario 64 when I, when I booted up the Spyro Reignited Trilogy. And I spent probably more time than I should have just running around that hub and burning grass because I realized that the grass actually burns in the re- in the actual remaster. So it was super cool. Like I was literally going around, but the grass does respawn eventually. So I was trying to like burn all the grass that I could and try to find um, the gems because I've I've completed five of the worlds besides the besides the hub world, which had 100 gems and four dragons to save. I've completed five of the additional worlds. So far, I have 100 percent at each world. So I really I really think I'm just going to go for 100 percenting each world. Um, And I I mean, it's not hard to do. And I can't remember, did the original Spyro games have a map? I haven't played it since it came out. Me neither. I think think, was it bottom left. Bottom left. Yeah, they did have a map. Okay. yeah, because I don't remember that map and that map makes it. Fairly easy to navigate around the, the you know, like the, the worlds. Um, so if, if the original games did have it, then I just don't remember. But when I because there's an option to turn the map off in the in the settings. So maybe maybe it was always there and I just never turned it on. But uh, the map definitely makes it a lot easier to navigate around these worlds. And it really put into perspective to me how small these worlds are. I never realized that. But then I started thinking. The worlds in Mario 64 were incredibly small as well. Incredibly oh, yeah. small. That's why it's why you had to go back to them several times. And yeah. Just to- yeah. And I never really thought about that. Like I, when we've played modern platformers like ukulele and, and that kind of stuff, the worlds seem bigger to me. And it's probably because they are be with modern technology. They can be bigger and, and, you know, they can design it better. But I just never realized back in the heyday of the platformers in the mid to late 90s, how small those levels actually were. Um, so that, that kind of was cool for me to to, to find out. Um, but it's so awesome being back and doing classic Spyro type gameplay. The soundtrack completely remastered by the original composer. So it's a completely new soundtrack that is basically the old soundtrack. I mean, he's made a few changes here and there, but he basically took the old soundtrack and recomposed every single song with uh, with modern technology. So very, very cool. Um, I And I hope this continues to be a thing. I hope these classic games like Crash Bandicoot last year, Spyro this year. I hope we keep getting stuff like this because, you know, it would be next. Cool borders. No, probably Jack and Daxter. Yeah, probably. I mean, but Jack and Daxter is Sony and it have to be Sony that would do it. Is it Sly Cooper is uh, Sony, too, isn't it? So, Sly Cooper is Sony as well, because these are uh, Spyro and Crash for Activision. So Sony didn't really have to go forth with it. And uh, as we'll find out later in the show, Sony isn't uh, doing much at the moment. So um, I don't know that they'll put in the resources to remaster the games. 
Maybe they can make one of those new Anthony Hawk games. Ah, you mean Tony Hawk? Yeah. <laughs> that was Activision, wasn't it? It was. Maybe, maybe they'll remaster Tony Hawk's 1, 2, and 3. Maybe that'll be next. I will buy it in a heartbeat. <laughs> I <that> would, too. <laughs> I would, too. Maybe that's the next remaster we're going to get from Activision. Because can you imagine, like, you know, Spider-Man was an unlockable character, I think, in 1 or 2? 1, I think. I think it was 1. To, to use the, the the Sony Spider-Man? Ooh, well, that would be cool. It would have to be exclusive to PS4, though, that version, which I think most people would buy it on yeah. the Sony platform anyway, whether it was PS4 or PS5. Um, so, but yeah, highly recommend Spyro as well. Uh, I, I really feel like I'm going to be investing a lot of time into this game over the next several weeks because I do want to finish all three games, obviously. Uh, all three games are excellent, but I can't wait to get to two because I feel like two definitely blew open Spyro for me and... Uh, I still think two is my favorite of the franchise of the series, like of between Spyro one, two and three. I still think uh, Ripto's Rage is my favorite one, <laughs> but we'll jump to some tasty treats and talk about what else we've been playing over this past week. Did you play anything besides Pokemon? Let's go Pokemon go. OK, uh, I've been playing that, trying to get my steps in. OK, uh, in preparation for connectivity to this game. Um, and that is about it. I've been playing some Soul Calibur because I'm still working on a review. Just about done with it. Uh, just a couple things I have left to do and I will be done with that game. Still not Red Dead though, huh? No, I didn't have time for Red Dead. I okay. was, I, I was, I was in total Soul Calibur mode. Okay. Um, understandably so. Obviously you're writing the review, but, uh, yeah, I played Red Dead for a few hours this week. Uh, still plugging away, uh, still in chapter two, but that's because I'm literally not even doing the main story. I'm focusing on the, uh, the side missions. So, oh, we're getting serious. The hat's backwards now. Uh-oh. But, uh... That's usually when I throw the Pokeball, but I'm not going <laughs> to throw a Pokeball the screen because I don't want to break my gut, my monitor. I was going to say, well, you have a Pokeball to throw if you wanted to. Um, Again, too nice of a monitor. I know, I know. But, yeah, still, still plugging away at Red Dead Redemption 2. Haven't really made any progress in the main story over the past two weeks just because I've literally been doing side missions... And stumbling upon these areas and literally finding incredible things to do because much unlike Fallout 76, at least there's a reason for me to be in this area because there's a side mission there. But like I said, Fallout 76. Oh, so, you're, so you're finding a side mission by exploring? Well, I'm finding a side mission by going to a location that a side mission is already pointing me in. So maybe I have to go to a train station or a house for a side mission, but I go to that and then I will find another one because I'm in there. There's no reason for me to go to the top left portion of the map in Fallout 76 to one random house to open a terminal to find a quest. No reason at all for me to do that. The sense of adventure, Brian. You can't do that in an MMO where the world is bigger than any other game. The map size dwarfs Fallout 4. Dwarfs it. You can't do that. There has to be breadcrumb quests. That's why MMO... MMOs live and die by their quest because that's what holds them together. That in the end game. And if people can't find the quest, they'll stop playing the game. Bethesda will learn that they will add breadcrumb quest. I guarantee you. Um, speaking of World of Warcraft, I put a little bit more time into it. My death night is up to 113. So we're getting closer to 120. But the reason I wanted to mention it this week, the 14 year anniversary has started for World of Warcraft. So if you log in, you'll get special items because obviously the game's been out for 14 years now as of this week. So it lasts for two weeks and uh, they bring back a lot of classic world bosses from like the vanilla Warcraft with upscaled loot. So you can go in. You can kill these bosses that were around back in the heyday in like 2004, 2005, and they'll drop 350 gear now. Uh, the bosses aren't harder, 
I mean, they're they're the same bosses and you can find groups to do them and you can do them once a day, but you can actually get this nice loot for killing these bosses. So I highly recommend if you're playing the game uh, and you if you take in a break, go do that, because even a character that is leveling up can still do that because it, it, they're not max level bosses. So. But like these are like these are all old original bosses. Yes. From Vanilla Warcraft. Yep. Yeah. Like, cool. like like ones that were actually in the world, not raids or dungeons, but like just world bosses uh, from like 2004, 2005. Doom Lord Kazakh, I believe, is one of them down there in the Blasted Lands. Uh, the the original Dragons of Nightmare, like where I forget the four zone. Fairless was one of them. Uh, Dar- Duskwood was one of them. The Hinterlands was one of them, and Ashenvale was the fourth. Are you, are you doing this? Are you going to yeah, play yeah, this guys? Yeah, absolutely, because they drop fantastic gear. So, And like I said, you can do it once a day because they're daily quests. So you definitely want to be logging in and doing that. So that's what I'll be doing at, for about 20, 30 minutes every day. Uh, the last game that I played besides those four was Assassin's Creed Odyssey again, because as I said, I'm going to be playing it. it. I did beat it. 100% beat it. But they're adding new stuff every week. So every week I will be loading it up and doing the new stuff. So the this week they added a new mythical creature, uh, Sterops the Lightning Bringer, who is a Cyclops. And he was in one of the islands just in the middle of the uh, of the Mediterranean. And you go there and kill him. And let me tell you, he was incredibly easy. But that's probably because uh, he's level 46. I'm level 50. I'm, I'm I was max level in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. They've since raised the level cap to 70. So I'm no longer max level in, in Odyssey. But um, I am level 51 now, though, because I did play for a little while after I killed him. But uh, I wiped the floor with him, dude. Um, <laughs> but I, but I also have like literally the best equipment I could get because I've done everything in the game literally everything that was available up before the new DLC I had done it all so I have the best gear the best weapons literally the best everything equipped all the abilities unlocked everything like the build that I wanted to have like that just makes Cassandra a badass so I literally stood back shot him with like 12 arrows and he was dead but that's like using up like, you know, the the powerful abilities for for a hunter and that kind of stuff. So I literally just sniped him down from afar and he was dead. But uh, pop that trophy did another quest that unlocked through the uh, the U club called Prince of Persia, which I thought was funny. Um, obviously paying homage to another Ubisoft title. But uh, you had to help this blind prince do some stuff. And then I realized that there was another side quest that had unlocked um, Well, that it didn't unlock. I had to go get it, but it wasn't there before. So I did that and I did a little bit of exploring and now I'm I'm parked and ready for the uh, the next update next week. So I'm going I'm, to I'm, but I'm going to keep talking about it because I want to keep mentioning everything that's I, happening. I, I had to look up a picture of Seraph to see if you look like the actual mythical Seraph's pretty damn close. No, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely close. And that's that's one cool thing about Odyssey is that uh, they are going fairly true to life with everything. Obviously, as true to life as it could be. I mean, these are mythical creatures, but they're creatures based off of real mythology, like p- real beings that people once thought existed. So pretty, pretty cool there. But that that's all I've played. So we'll kick it over to the weekly scoop news report where we have 12 items to talk about this week. 12 items on the weekly scoop news report. Actually, more than I thought being uh, being a holiday weekend in the United States. Thanksgiving is Thursday. We have game announcements or no? We have three 
game announcements to talk about this week. Uh, yeah, like I said, I, I actually thought this would be a be a slower week because of the uh, the holiday this week. So usually the week before and the week of I'm assuming next week's show will be lighter just because there probably won't be too many things coming out this week. But the uh, the first one I'm going to talk about here, Square Enix has announced, speaking of MMOs, Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers, the next major expansion for Final Fantasy XIV. It will launch in early summer 2019. What awaits the Liberator? Tension grips the land as six nations now stand allied against the Imperial armies of Garlemald. I think that's how you say that. I don't know because I haven't gotten that far in the game yet, and I probably never will. With the threat of war on the horizon, the Warrior of Light comes face to face with an old enemy seemingly risen from the ashes, Xenos. Could this impending conflict serve as a catalyst for an eighth and final Umbral Era? It is time, once and for all, to take down the Garlean Empire. So there's three key plot points for Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers. The first one, with the fall of the Scions, what will become of the Warrior of Light and the Allied Armies? That's plot point number one. Key plot point number two is the first Emperor Solus Zos Galvus and Elidibus in a Scion with the face of Xenos. I'm assuming those are two enemies. I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming. And then key plot point number three is the warrior of light must become the warrior of darkness. So, so obviously for fans of, of Final Fantasy games, especially older Final Fantasy games, you'll recognize the terms just because the uh, the traditional older school Final Fantasy games dealt with the warriors of light, and the warriors of darkness. Um, adding some things, though, obviously. So upcoming with version 4.5, they're adding the blue mage. And uh, the Blue Mage will be available to all players that own Final Fantasy XIV or Realm Reborn, have reached level 50 as a discipline of war or magic, and have completed the 2.0 main scenario. Taking inspiration from previous Final Fantasy titles, the Blue Mage job will provide a unique solo gameplay experience in which players will learn monster actions and advance through Blue Mage-specific content. Blue Mage will begin with a level cap of 50 and increase in the future with the addition of new content for the job. So so that's kind of neat. It's the first limited job, basically, in Final Fantasy 14, not connected to any other class. Um, and that, that's actually pretty interesting there. Um, more interesting, though, is what's coming with version 5.0, which will launch alongside the new expansion Shadowbringers. Multiple new jobs that have not been announced yet. A new level cap. So they'll be raising the level cap from 70 to 80. They'll be doing maintenance to the battle system, sprawling new areas, uh, including the Rocktika Greatwood and Amur. Aronig, I'm assuming is how you say that. Uh, new beast tribes and new primals, the new mo, thrilling new dungeons, challenging new high end raids, exciting new alliance raids, end game content for disciples of the land and hand, restoration of the holy sea of Ishgard, an NPC battle assist system, which sounds interesting. Uh, the most interesting thing that I think that's adding here, because this is an MMO and this is a traditional non MMO thing, New Game Plus is being added to Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, and New Game Plus, the way it works in the MMO, it enables players to replay the old content with a higher difficulty. That's fantastic. So that's basically like uh, Warcraft has that, but they don't call it New Game Plus. So I actually think it's a it's a cool concept to be adding. Um yeah, and uh, they're adding a new playable race, and it says while the identity of the new race was not specifically stated, director and producer Naoki Yoshida hinted at it being Viera with the Bugs Bunny on the back of his T-shirt. Uh, and apparently patch 4.5 upcoming soon will also hint at what that new race is going to be. So uh, Final Fantasy 14 Shadowbringers launching sometime early summer 2019. Um, pretty cool. 
The next game announcement, the latest issue of Monthly Coral Coral Comic, reveals Ninja Box for Nintendo Switch, a super large scale crafting game from Bandai Namco. Ninja Box stars Simpleton Ninja Tankachi-kun from Tatamakura Village. His partner is an ordinary boy named Hiroto. Weapons, mechanisms, and buildings are built using quote-unquote ninja. So I don't know what that means. It must be a system of, of, of some sort for the game. Uh, a release date was not yet announced, so we'll have to wait and see what that is. Kind of like Dragon Quest Builders? Kind of like stuff? Dragon Quest Builders, kind of like Minecraft, kind of like those types okay. of games, yeah. I'm assuming that's what that's going to be like. Uh, the last game, Nipponichi Software, so NAS over in Japan, has announced a, an original RPG known as Destiny Connect for PlayStation 4 and Nintendo Switch and the latest issue of Weekly Famitsu. It will launch on February 28th over in Japan. Destiny Connect is directed by Yoshihiko Toda and features a scenario written by Suprio DX's Jun Yakoto. In the story, some sort of disaster has occurred in the warm and nostalgic town of Clockney. In order to resolve this incident, an adventure that revolves around time will unfold between characters, including a girl named Sherry, a boy named Pedro, and a robot named Isaac. So I'm curious about this. The, the art style looks interesting. It looks like a clock town type thing. It looks like this game is right out of the 1990s. And I, I know I mean it the most I mean, in the most endearing way. I don't yeah. mean to say like it looks dated. Yeah, it looks cool. So I definitely uh, I definitely want to see more on this. And I do hope it ends up coming over to uh, to the West. I hope it gets translated to English because this is a game I would absolutely love to play. Um, we're skipping over sales and revenue. We're going to jump to a major section for the weekly news report this week. A third of everything is in this section here. It's time for some teases and leaks. We got a lot of teases and leaks to talk about this week. And our first one section. Yeah, and this is a good this is a good this is a good little section here this week. So our first one, Microsoft is going to release a discless Xbox One console in spring 2019 or earlier, according to a Thurot report. The discless Xbox One will reportedly ship alongside a disc to digital program that enables users who own physical discs to bring their games to participating retailers to trade them for a digital code. While, while the lowest price for an Xbox One is currently $299, the discless console is expected to cost $200 or less. In addition to the discless console, Microsoft is reportedly also preparing a revised Xbox One S SKU due out later in 2019. This console will still have a disk drive and is being made solely for the purpose of cost reduction. Thurot clarifies that the diskless console will not be part of the previously reported Scarlet family of Xbox consoles, which includes a traditional local console and a streaming console due out in 2020. Thurot reported today, so this was last week, that Microsoft is still trying to decide if Scarlet will include a disk drive. That's crazy, Brian. So Microsoft is going to be testing the waters in 2019 to see if consumers are open to buying a console without a disk drive. The weird part is bringing your game to a retailer to get a code for it, like literally handing something over. Yeah. To you. Yeah. So you basically, you know, say Sony in 2019 put out a PS4 that didn't have a disk drive. I have 40 plus PS4 games over there on the shelf. I could take all those games to our participating retailer, whether that's GameStop, whether that's 
I don't know. I don't know. GameStop's the only one I could think of that would probably do something like this. Microsoft at least has the Microsoft stores that would potentially do something like this. Sony doesn't have the Sony stores. So my my mind immediately goes to GameStop, and I don't like that. But, I mean, that would be the one place I would think of. But I'd say I go to GameStop. I take all my games, and I give them to them. And they're not giving me store credit for them. They're not giving me cash. They're not giving me anything. All they're giving me is a code to re-download my games when I go home. But then I have a digital version of the game. As long as those games carry over to the next platform, whether that's PS4 to PS5, Xbox One to Xbox Scarlet, Nintendo Switch to Switch 2, as long as those games carried over to the next generation, I'm all for this. Yes and no. And I always say this because when the servers go down, I'm I'm looking... 20, 30 years in the future. Okay. When the servers go down and let's say you have a hard disk failure, you're mm-hmm. never getting those games back. Correct. There has to be a way to back up your game somehow. There has to be a way to back up your games, whether that's to a cloud, whether that's to local storage, whether that's to something, there has to be a way to back up your games. I agree with you. And I, I think that's one of the, obviously the big things that, uh, that is still there at the forefront of this digital you know revolution. I love digital over. Right. Physical. Right. Right. I think that's one of the main things that's still there at the forefront of the digital revolution is how can we back up our games for things like this to happen in the future? I mean, that is a thing. I mean, that that's a thing that's yeah. going to happen at some point. So uh, it definitely has to be addressed if uh, if this is going to be the norm for for next generation. But I'm curious to see what they do, because if this does well in 2019, that means that that streaming box of the Scarlet family will definitely not have a disk drive. Um. But the other interesting keynote there is that uh, Thurach is reporting that the Xbox One consoles are coming in 2020, which tells me that the PS5 is also 2020 and not 2019. Those originally, as we originally talked about a few weeks back or a few months back on when we speculated that would it be 2019. Um, and there's even more evidence pointing to 2020 for the PlayStation 5 that we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show. So uh, our next season leak, the LinkedIn resume of Tomohiro Takora, a 3D character modeler at Square Enix subsidiary Luminous Productions, which we just talked about last week, which is the one that canceled their game. And uh, Hajime Tabata left uh, that studio and left Square Enix. So that's the same team at Square Enix. Uh, He is listing a new AAA title for PlayStation 5 in development at the studio. So Square Enix recently confirmed that Luminous Productions has shifted direction to focus its resources on the development of a completely new AAA title for the global market. But now we know that new AAA title is a next generation PlayStation 5 title. Whether that's an RPG or not remains to be seen, but at least that is the first confirmed PlayStation 5 title we know of to be in existence. So. Really? Yep. Uh, Elder Scrolls 6. That platform has not been confirmed yet. Guaranteed. Guaranteed, yes, but it has not been confirmed. It's okay. okay, I'll give it to you. And this yeah. is going to be Final Fantasy VII, guys. Just so you know. No, because it's brand new AAA IP. Can't be a Final Fantasy. We know it cannot be Final Fantasy because it's a new AAA IP title. Last Fantasy VII. Exactly. Exactly. Or, instead of Last Fantasy, is it Last Idea? Because some new... I, tra- couldn't, think of another word for, I couldn't think of another word for fantasy, so... You know, well, but... But new trademarks have been filed over in Japan. So our third season leak, Bandai Namco Entertainment has filed a trademark for Fairies Requiem in Japan. Square Enix filed a trademark for Last Idea. 
The Twitter account last idea underscore RPG was also discovered. While it cannot be confirmed that Square Enix runs the Twitter account, its join date of October against the trademark not being made until November suggests Square Enix does own that Twitter account. And then Sega filed a trademark for Poyo Poyo Champions. So three new three new trademarks hitting over in I Japan. I love me some Poyo Poyo. Me too. Me too. So a new Poyo Poyo game would be great. Uh, our last tease and leak this week, Supermassive Games has a history of working on PlayStation exclusive projects with its highest acclaimed title being the 2015 released Until Dawn. I it's, love it. it's so good. Its latest game, however, The Dark Pictures Man of Medan is coming to multiple platforms. Asked by 4PDA.ru, so a Russian website, why the horror title is not exclusive to PS4, Supermassive Games managing director Pete Samuels confirmed that the company has several PlayStation exclusive titles in the works. Quote, we are working on several unannounced PlayStation exclusives. True, it is impossible to talk about them in detail. In general, I really wanted to present our work to the widest possible audience. That is, the Dark Pictures needs to be released on several platforms. End quote. So uh, hopefully one of those unannounced PlayStation exclusives is Until Dawn 2. I really do want a sequel to that game. Uh, and that is the that is the type of game that Supermassive does best. So I really do hope they stick with it. But uh I, I am very much looking forward to the Dark Pictures anthology and uh, Man of Medan when it comes out next year, because it really does look like Until Dawn 2 anyway. So I know I'm going to play those games. I can't wait for those. I would love another Until Dawn. I need to kill me some Wendigo. <laughs> we'll skip over DLC. We'll jump over to delays. We have one delay to talk about this week. And again, not a traditional delay because it's being delayed from something that never had an official release date. Publisher Atlas and developer Vanillaware has delayed 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim from its previously planned 2018 release window in Japan to an unannounced release date as well as canceled the PlayStation Vita version. 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim will now only be released for PlayStation 4. Reasons for the delay and the PS Vita version's cancellation were not announced. Atlas said that as soon as the release date is decided, the announcement will be posted on the game's official website. This game has been in development for a very long time, and I'm starting to think that something's wrong. So Atlas knows what they're doing. They're Atlas, one of my favorite companies. So Atlas, Atlas does know what they're doing, and that's what scares me because Vanillaware normally knows what they're doing as well. I don't know what's taken this game so long to be made because it's not even it's not a technical. It's not like a technological marvel. It's being done with like a very like cell shaded side scrolling type of uh, of a look to it. Uh, it's a gorgeous looking game. I can't wait to play this, but it was announced like four or five years ago. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to uh, to eventually getting my hands on this game, but it's, it just seems like it's never going to happen. So we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen there. We'll jump over to some random news now. We have four more things to talk about here. So this happened during X018. So if you missed our reaction video, go check that out. Uh, it was a it was a fun thing to react. To. It was a fun, fun little conference to watch. But at X018, Microsoft announced that it has acquired Fallout New Vegas and Pillars of Eternity developer Obsidian Entertainment, as well as Wasteland and the Bard's Tale developer in Exile Entertainment. Obsidian Entertainment was founded in 2003 in Irvine, California, by industry veterans from Black Isle Studios, led by Fergus Urquhart. The studio quickly made a name for itself with the Xbox exclusive Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2, The Sith Lords. Over the last 15 years, they have delivered genre defining RPGs to players on both console and PC through titles including Fallout New Vegas, South Park, The Stick of Truth and Pillars of Eternity. 
in Exile Entertainment is a team of industry veterans with decades of PC and RPG expertise. Led by Interplay founder Brian Fargo, in Exile's two development teams in Newport Beach, California and New Orleans, excel at creating vast worlds for players to explore with titles such as Wasteland 2, Torment Tides of Numenera, Bard's Tale 4, and the upcoming Wasteland 3. So Microsoft added two very strong isometric RPG developers. Not necessarily... Now, in Exile, it has only ever done the isometric style. Obsidian has done the Western RPG style with Knights of the Old Republic, Fallout New Vegas, and kind of the Japanese style was South Park the Stick of Truth because it was turn-based. So I think Obsidian could fill any gap. In Exile's probably going to fill the isometric gap. So maybe they'll put Obsidian on like more of a, a Fallout New Vegas or a Knights of the Republic type or style of game. I do hope that's the case. And then In Exile can keep working on Wasteland 3. That would be my, my hope. So we'll, we'll have to see what Microsoft's plans are for these two studios, though. I want a good Halo RPG. Ooh, maybe that could be something that Obsidian works on, like an actual that would be interesting. I never actually thought about that. Maybe they'll actually let Obsidian take a the Halo IP and make a RPG, kind of like how they took um, Fallout and made a, you know, New Vegas was better than three, according to a lot of people, myself included. And uh, Knights of the Republic 2 was a fantastic RPG in the Star Wars universe. So maybe they'll take Halo and, and make a great RPG in that universe. That'd be interesting. That'd be cool to think about, especially if it was done in the style of like Mass Effect would be great. Yeah, hell yeah. Would be great to see that. Uh, our next bit of random news, Capcom, a leading worldwide developer and publisher of video games, as we know, has announced that Rob Dyer has joined Capcom USA as chief operating officer. Reporting to CEO Kichiro Urata, Dyer will be responsible for all aspects of the company's publishing business, including sales, marketing and operations in the Americas. With more than 25 years of experience in the video game industry, Dyer has held various leadership roles with companies such as Sony Computer Entertainment America, Zynga, Eidos Interactive, Crave Entertainment Group and more. He has had more extensive experience leading initiatives on a global scale to drive sales and growth. So it's a little bit of company jargon there at the end. But what's interesting is where he came from. So Sony Computer Entertainment America, Zynga, Eidos Interactive and Crave. So um, hopefully he'll bring some of that uh, expertise over to Capcom, which doesn't necessarily need the expertise, but it'll be interesting to see where he or like what his ideas or something might lead Capcom to. You know what I mean? So it'd be interesting to see. Let's see what it does. Uh, Our next bit of random news, the Game Awards 2018 nominees, the official Game Awards, not the Level Down Game Awards, the Game Awards 2018 officially hosted by Jeff Keighley. The nominees have been announced for the Game Awards. If you want to check them out, head on over to their website. It's thegameawards.com. I really just wanted to highlight in the podcast today, Game of the Year. So according to Jeff Keighley and the Game Awards, Game of the Year recognizes a game that delivers the absolute best experience across all creative and technical fields. The six nominees for Game of the Year for the Game Awards are Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Celeste, God of War, Marvel Spider-Man, Monster Hunter World, and Red Dead Redemption 2. A few interesting choices in there. Yeah, it seems a little early to be throwing Red Dead or even Assassin's Creed in there, but whatever. I disagree. I disagree. I'm not saying they're, I'm not saying they're bad games. I'm just saying that it's too early. I, I say give them some more time. Um, look, you know, like I have like a hard cutoff date. 
Well, there is. The hard cutoff date is, I think, December 1st, which is why Smash Brothers doesn't make the ballot at all. So, yeah, the uh, the the hard cutoff date for the Game Awards is December 1st. As long as the yeah, game comes... I don't know if that matters. God of War is winning everything. Uh, I actually disagree. Uh, I don't think it will. You're going to go Spider-Man over God of War? We'll, we'll say that for our own, our own award show. Yeah, we'll, we'll say that for our own award show. But... Uh, because we do have our award coming up. We'll, we'll announce our nominees um, soon. A couple weeks. A couple weeks. Because ours is always the middle of December. The Game Awards is literally in two weeks. Next week, we'll have our predictions for the Game Awards, though. Mm-hmm. We'll, have our, we'll do our predictions and what we think might be announced. So, uh, But yeah, I highly recommend going over and going to thegameawards.com, checking out the nominees, and voting in the categories that they let you vote in. So make sure you vote. Make sure you get your voice heard. The last bit of random news, we got confirmation on what that animated series is going to be that we talked about a few weeks ago. So if you remember, we were speculating it was going to be The Legend of Zelda. According to one report, it is not The Legend of Zelda. An animated series adaptation of Capcom's Devil May Cry franchise is in the works from Castlevania animated series executive producer Adi Shankar. The, the, he actually confirmed this himself to IGN. Uh, the Devil May Cry animated series will join the Castlevania animated series in what Shankar called a quote-unquote bootleg multiverse. Shankar did not further elaborate on what this means, but he did tease. Let the speculation begin. You could read into that all you want. He assured that he acquired the right to Devil May Cry by himself. So in his words, the jabronis in Hollywood don't fuck this one up too, which should allow him more creative freedom. Further information was not yet announced. So a Devil May Cry animated series is joining Castlevania sometime on Netflix. So that'd be interesting. That'd be cool. Okay. Yeah, looking forward to it though, because I uh, really, really enjoy the uh, Castlevania animated series. So, looking forward to see what he does with uh, Devil May Cry. Several release dates got announced this week, though. Uh, Floor Kids is coming to PlayStation 4 and Xbox One on November 27th. That's that breakdancing game. Yeah. Uh, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds is coming to PlayStation 4 on December 7th. Astro Near is launching on February 6th, 2019. The Liar Princess and the Blind Prince will be launching on February 12th, 2019 in North America and Europe. Puzzle platformer Degrees of Separation launches for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, and PC on February 14th, 2019. And Crackdown 3's release date got moved up to February 15th from February 22nd, 2019. But as always, most of those games are in February. Four, actually, yeah, four of those six games are in February 2019. One of them being next week and the other being uh, in December. Let's talk about what's releasing this week and the new releases for the week of November 19th. We'll be skipping over today, Monday, November 19th, and moving on to the only day this week that has releases. That's Tuesday, November 20th. As I mentioned, this is a holiday week here in the United States, being Thanksgiving on Thursday. There's nothing coming out Wednesday, Thursday, and especially Friday. Friday being uh, the biz- one of the busiest shopping days of the year, Black Friday. More on that in just a few minutes. But the only day that has releases this week, Tuesday, November 20th. We have five games coming out. The first one coming to PC, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One, Battlefield 5. Enter Mankind's Greatest Conflict with Battlefield 5 as the series goes back to its roots in a never-before-seen portrayal of World War II. Take on physical all-out multiplayer with your squad in experiences like the vast grand operations or witness human drama set against global combat in the single-player war stories. As you fight in epic unexpected locations across the globe, enjoy the richest and most immersive battlefield yet. Uh, Looking forward to playing the war stories of this one. Multiplayer, not so much, but at least it has a single player game, unlike Black Ops 4. 
the next game coming to Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, a game I think you're really going to be interested in. It's a game called Bendy and the Ink Machine. Oh, hell yeah, I'm getting this. They already looked it up, okay. I, I know about this game. I've been doing okay. this for a while. Perfect. Yeah. It's been on PC for a while. PC. Yeah, it's been on PC for a while. Bendy and the Ink Machine is a first-person puzzle action horror game that begins in the far days past of animation and ends in a very dark future. Play as Henry as he revisits the demons of his past by exploring the abandoned animators workshop of Joey Drew Studios. With twists and turns around every corner, Bendy and the Ink Machine is sure to thrill you and decimate your childhood. You'll never look at cartoons the same way again. This first chapter sets the tone for the adventure ahead. Solve the riddle, escape the workshop, and above all, fear the machine and survive. But yeah, this game looks super, super cool. Yeah, definitely a good Switch game. Very good Switch game. Uh, next game releasing tomorrow to PC, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One, Farming Simulator 19. Farming Simulator 19 takes the biggest step forward yet with the franchise's most extensive vehicle roster ever. You'll take control of vehicles and machines faithfully recreated from all the leading brands in the industry, including for the first time, John Deere, the largest agricultural machinery company in the world. Case IH, New Holland, Challenger, Fent, Massey Ferguson, Voltra, Crone, Duchfar, and many more. Farming Simulator 19 will feature new American and European environments in which to develop and expand your farm and will introduce many exciting new farming activities, including new machinery and crops with cotton and oat. Tend to your livestock of pigs, cows, sheep, and chickens, or ride your horses for the first time, letting you explore in a brand new way the vast land around your farm. Farming Simulator 19 is the richest and most complete farming experience ever made. We make fun of this. This game sells like I'm crazy fun, every season. I'm making fun of it. I think that's pretty interesting. It you know, is. I have a little bit of integrity. <laughs> Move away from the city. Get a little bit of integrity, yeah. Yeah, a little integrity farms. Uh, this game sells like crazy every year. So they must be doing something right. They really must be doing something right. I think they put like a hundred dollar bill inside each one of them to get money laundering scheme. <laughs> or they entice you by saying some of the copies have a hundred dollars in them, making you go out and buy the game <laughs> to hope and hopes that you get the one with a hundred dollars. So that way you spend 60 on the game, but then you get 40 bucks back. So not bad. See? Yeah, not bad. Uh, also coming tomorrow to PlayStation 4, Marvel's Spider-Man DLC number two, Turf Wars. Hammerhead is the main antagonist in Marvel's Spider-Man The Turf Wars. First appearing in the 1970s via the pages of Amazing Spider-Man comic book, Hammerhead, the organized crime boss known for his obsession with the mob's glory gears and a cranium surgically enhanced into a deadly weapon, has declared war against the other dons of the Magia and are using equipment left by Sable International during its occupation of Marvel's New York. Spider-Man and Yuri Watanabe will have to team up to put an end to the violence that has erupted in the streets of the city. Marvel Spider-Man Turf Wars features brand new story missions, bases, crimes, challenges, and trophies. In addition, Marvel Spider-Man Turf Wars features three great new suits. Yuri, you have the season pass, right? I do. I haven't, I haven't played it yet. Well, yeah, because it hasn't doesn't come out till tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Other episode already said, yeah, this is DLC 2. Yeah, I thought you played, you said you played the heist. You talked about it. Yeah, they played it for about 45 minutes. I'm, be, I'm sorry, I have not Oh, it yet. okay, okay, okay. I was going to say, you, you said you finished it, so that was... No, I didn't finish it. I'm close to it. Because it's, it's just like yeah, the game itself. It's a lot of... Um, okay. Checkbox stuff. Okay, okay. I, I, need, I, need, I need to have a double platinum. Yeah, that works. Uh, the last game coming out this week, it's the console version, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, Wreckfest. 
break the rules and take full contact racing to the limit with Wreckfest. Expect epic crashes, neck-to-neck -neck fights over the finish line, and brand new ways for metal to bend. These are the once-in-a-lifetime moments that can only be achieved in Wreckfest with its true-to-life uh, physics simulation crafted by legendary developer Bugbear, who also brought you Flat Out 1 and 2. Burn rubber and shred metal in the ultimate driving playground, Wreckfest is jam-packed with upgrade and customization options. Whether you are preparing for your next demolition derby with reinforced bumpers, roll cages, side protectors, and much more, or setting your car up for a banger race with engine performance parts like air filters, camshafts, fuel systems, etc., Wreckfest is shaping up to be the best combative motorsport game out there. Drive hard, die last. Uh, I play this on PC. It's a good game. It's a fun game. I, d I definitely yeah, recommend it. I wanted the THQ Nordic uh, banner. Uh, it is actually. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is. Yeah, they they did buy. Uh, they did. They did recently buy Bugbear. I didn't put that in the weekly scoot news report because I literally don't care about everything THQ Nordic buys anymore. I do. They're the best. They're just becoming super massive. Uh, incorrect. Super super massive games makes until dawn. But Next. Uh, uh, no, no, no. But uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I, I do think that THQ Nordic and, and we talked about this last time we talked about the last thing they, they acquired and which is why I didn't put it in there this week. I think they're making huge mistakes. They're acquiring too much and not developing anything. They've only released a few games since acquiring all these things. And uh, yes, I understand game development takes time, but uh, focus on what you have. Focus on what you have. Once that shit does well, then go out there and buy more stuff. 2020 is going to be the year of THQ Nordic. Shoot, so. Every game that comes out will be published Every by THQ one. Nordic in 2020. <laughs> Pick of the week this week. What are you going to go with? Uh, just because it's the one that's most anticipated for me, I'm going Bendy and the Ink Machine. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go Battlefield 5 just because it's the biggest release Probably this week. So. Yeah, it's, a, it's the biggest release this week. So, uh, but... I think I'm most excited for Bendy, even though it's already released on PC and I could already have played it uh, a long time ago. Uh, Bendy looks really, really good, especially for a Switch game. Uh, but I think my official pick is going to have to be Battlefield 5. We'll transition now to our first discussion point on the episode today. I want to talk Black Friday deals. Now, this is next week. We'll have a recap of everything Frank and I picked up on on Black Friday. Much like we did last year, we went over our, our haul and talked about everything that we picked up for cheap. I know I talked so much smack. I wasn't going to get anything. And I still came back. With a pile you you of bought stuff. like <laughs> six or seven games last year. Yeah. So we'll do that again next week on the show. But I want to talk about the deals that you can expect to find at stores. I'm only focusing on three stores. I put together a whole list. I'm only focusing on three stores, Walmart, Best Buy and Target. I'm not focusing on GameStop. GameStop, I compared all the ads. GameStop does not have anything better than either Walmart, Best Buy, or Target. So there's no reason to go really? to GameStop. There's no reason to go to GameStop. The prices are... Ten, ten bucks for Horizon Zero Dawn, if you really want to go out of your way. Yeah, but there's no really no reason to go to GameStop over Walmart, Best Buy, or Target for what I feel. And the games I put on here, I feel like will be the biggest games of the holiday. Horizon Zero Dawn, I didn't put on here. But uh, I, I feel like the, these games will be the biggest ones for holiday 2018. Why go elsewhere if you can go to Walmart, Best Buy, or Target, get these games, and get a bunch of other things as well? If you're going to go to a store, and a lot of people only pick like one or two stores on Black Friday because they're so busy and you have to wait in line for so long. If you're going for games and other things, pick one of these three stores. So we'll, we'll run down the list. So Walmart, Best Buy, Target, we're focusing on those three. We're going to kick off with the Sony PlayStation 4 Slim 1 Terabyte Marvel's Spider-Man Bundle. 
$199.99 at all three, Walmart, Best Buy, and Target. Great price to jump in to a PS4. Now, this is not a pro. This is a this is a slim version of the PS4, but it does come with a terabyte high drive and Marvel Spider-Man for $199.99. Good deal. Uh, the PlayStation VR Astrobot and Moss bundle is $199.99 at Walmart and Best Buy. Another fantastic deal. If I had the money, you're buying it? That's what, that's the one thing I was getting this year for myself. Hell yeah. I always buy myself, always buy myself a Christmas present, and that's – I've been telling you, I want VR, I want VR. I'm so excited you're buying this. Uh, Jessica and I were actually talking about seeing if we could afford to get this bundle as well because, uh, as you know, we had PlayStation VR, but then I and then we sold it and got rid of it because we I, it gave me a headache. Jessica really misses it. She misses VR. Astrobot is the Super Mario 64 to virtual that's- reality. And that comes with this bundle and it comes with another game called Moth, which looks really cute and fun as well. Starring a little mouse. So is this the full, is this the full shebang, though? Do we know that is this uh, move controllers? Thing? Yeah, yeah, should be. Yeah, should be. It's it's it should come with everything. If it doesn't uh, easy to find. just go to GameStop the next day, not on Black Friday. It'll be busy. Go to GameStop the next day and I to use move controllers. That's it. That's no. all. You, that's all you need. But uh, yeah, no, I can't wait for you to plug this in. I'm hoping You'll have to talk about Astrobot the week after you play this because I really want your impressions on this because everything I've seen from everyone playing this game on Twitch, talking about it at other websites, Astrobot is the Super Mario 64 to virtual reality. Like that, you know, obviously Mario 64 made 3D gaming great. Astrobot is supposedly going to make VR gaming great. So I want to know what it is. To, I'm going to have to find a way to rig this camera up so you can watch me play my VR and probably fall over and die. In Please, this do. Please do. Please <laughs> do. Because I would literally call you on Skype and watch you play because I want to see I want to see Astrobot. Dude, I really, really do. Uh, PlayStation 4 controllers. You'll be able to pick them up at all three stores. Walmart, Best Buy and Target for $39.99. Good deal for those. Hell Yeah. Um, you'll be able to get 12 months of PlayStation Plus at Best Buy for $39.99. Cheapest price to get it. I just re re up to. Oh, okay. Damn. <laughs> I <Yeah>. should have waited. <laughs> uh, 30, yeah, 40 bucks for a month for a year at Best Buy. Uh, let's move on to the Xbox One. Microsoft Xbox One X at Walmart for $399.99. The cheapest ever the One X has been at. 100 bucks off? 100 bucks off. Yep. 100 bucks off. So the cheapest ever for the Xbox One X. Uh, if you want a bundle, go to Best Buy. You'll get the Xbox One X, a free controller, and Battlefield 5 for $429.99. So $30 more. So you'll get an extra controller, a copy of Battlefield 5 for an additional 30 bucks. Uh, if you want 12 months of Xbox Live, go to Target for forty nine uh, $49.99. So $10 more than 12 months for PlayStation Plus, but still. And then Xbox One controllers are also $39.99 at Walmart, Best Buy, and Target, much like PlayStation 4 controllers. On the Nintendo Switch side of things, there's only one bundle this holiday season at Walmart, Best Buy, and Target. All three stores have the Mario Kart 8 Deluxe Nintendo Switch bundle for $299.99. So you'll get a Switch plus Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Let's move on to the games. These are the, these are the games that I was able to find the best deals on. So, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, $29.99, Best Buy. Definitely, definitely, definitely pick this up. Definitely yeah, recommended. Half yeah, half off. Uh, so, and, and again, I if I only mentioned one store, that's because the other stores are more expensive. So at Walmart and Target, they also have sales on Odyssey, but it's not as cheap as Best Buy. So the cheapest price is $29.99 at Best Buy for Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Last year's Assassin's Creed Origins, which is still a good game, $19.99 at Best Buy. Bioshock The Collection, $19.99 at Best Buy. Call of Duty Black Ops 4, 39.99 
at Walmart. But don't buy it. I wouldn't recommend it either. Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, $24.99 at Walmart, Best Buy, and Target. Destiny 2 Forsaken The Legendary Collection, $29.99 at Target. Detroit Become Human, $19.99 at Best Buy. Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze Nintendo Switch version, $34.99 at Walmart. Dragon Ball Fighter Z, $16.99 at Walmart. Absolute steal. Absolute steal. I agree with you there. I actually might even pick that up. Dragon Quest XI, Echoes of an Elusive Age, $29.99 at Best Buy. Another must purchase, in my opinion. This alongside uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, both half off, both must purchases. Far Cry 5, $19.99 at Best Buy. Another absolute, yeah, another absolute buy. FIFA 19, $29.99 at Walmart and Best Buy. Final Fantasy 15 Royal Edition, $19.99 at Best Buy. Another great pickup. Fire Emblem Warriors, $34.99 at Best Buy. If you're into the Musos, a great pickup. Forza Horizon 4, $29.99 at Best Buy. If you have an Xbox One, this is a must-buy. That's half off, and it's a great game. God of War, $24.99 at Walmart, Best Buy, and Target. An absolute much purchase if you don't have it. Actually, Justin said he's picking this up because he never bought God of War. It's, yeah. Justin, what's wrong with you? Well, he he rented it from uh, from the local store. Okay, well, I forgive and, you. Yeah, he rented it, played it for a week, and then, then kind of took it back and hasn't went back to it. So, yeah, he's picking up God of War on Black Friday. Uh, Hitman, Definitive Edition. This is... Uh, Two years ago, 2016's Hitman that led to Hitman 2, which just came out. Uh, the Definitive Edition is $19.99 at Best Buy. Kingdom Come Deliverance, which le- released earlier this year, $19.99 at Best Buy. Kirby Star Allies, $34.99 at Walmart. L.A. Noir, this is the remastered version on PS4, Xbox One, $14.99 at Best Buy. Madden NFL 19, $29.99, Walmart, Best Buy, every Target. Year. Every year, yep, I'll be buying that for sure. Mario Rabbids Kingdom Battle, $19.99 at Best Buy. Good purchase if you don't already own that. Good purchase for $20. Metal Gear Survive is $19.99 at Best Buy. Interesting game. I probably wouldn't recommend it either, but it's it's interesting. One I do recommend, Middle Earth Shadow of War Definitive Edition, $19.99 at Best Buy. That's another game I'm buying for sure. MLB The Show 18, $16.99 at Walmart. Always a great game. Yeah, always a good game. Definitely a good pickup there. Monster Hunter World is $16.99 at Walmart, which is a fantastic price for that game. Brian, Brian hates that game. I, I don't hate it at all. Uh, up for the running for Jeff Keighley's Game Awards. NBA 2K19, $29.99 at Walmart, Best Buy, and Target. Always a good game. Near Automata, $19.99 at Best Buy. One of the greatest games ever made. Highly recommend picking this up if you don't already have it. Overcooked 2, $19.99 at Best Buy. Persona 5, $24.99 at Best Buy. Resident Evil 7, the Gold Edition, $16.99 at Walmart. Sea of Thieves, $24.99 at Best Buy. Shadow of the Tomb Raider, $29.99 at Best Buy and Target. An absolute must-buy, in my opinion, for half off. Shining Resonance Refrain is $24.99 at Best Buy. Good RPG. Soul Calibur 6, $34.99 at Walmart and Target. So $15, no, $25 off for that one. Not bad. Starlink Battle for Atlas, $34.99 at Best Buy. This includes the Nintendo Switch version, which comes with the R-Wing and the Star Fox accessories. 
Brian's getting this. I am absolutely getting this. This is 100. percent Yeah, I, this is a this is a this is the the biggest one for me right here this year. Uh, actually, I do believe Jessica's picking this up for me on Black Friday for Christmas. So uh, this is one of the things I absolutely want. Spoilers! Wanted. Oh my god. Well, the thing itself is eighty dollars, dude. I know, I know, this I know. is more than half off. I can't wait. This is I'm excited for that. Even though the game may not be that great, I want to play it because of Star Fox. So thirty four ninety nine. I'm willing to pay that. State of Decay 2, $14.99 over at Best Buy. Street Fighter 30th Anniversary, $19.99 at Best Buy. The Banner Saga Trilogy, $19.99 at Best Buy. Vampire, $29.99 at Best Buy. Worth it. That's a good price for Vampire. We Happy Few is $34.99 at Walmart and Target. Would not recommend it. WWE 2K19, $29.99, Walmart, Best Buy, and Target. Good price if you're picking it up this year. Good price if you're picking wow, it up this I year. I got a half price for a game that's been out for a month. Yeah. Crazy. And then the last sale that I put on the list, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, because it did not release till after Black Friday last year. So this is the first time it's been deeply discounted. $34.99, Walmart only. It's crazy how Nintendo games, they don't move up that $34.99 mark for the most part. No, Nintendo get never, dude. Until they release a select version, like the Nintendo Selector, yeah. you know, the player's choice version. That's when they go down to $19.99. Nintendo never lets these play- people discount more than $34.99. And it's crazy. But yeah, so uh, all in all, that's a decent list for for good games for Black Friday this year. Uh, Several on that list. I know for sure I'm going to try to aim to pick up this year. And I know you will, too. I'm sure. I know for sure I'm getting my PSVR Astrobot and Moss. Uh, Yeah, honestly, that might be whatever else. Whatever else happens, happens. Yeah, that'll that'll be that'll be the win. That'll be on the win. Also, this doesn't include Amazon. So keep an eye on Amazon because Amazon may also do the same bundle for the same price because typically Amazon will try to match Walmart, Best Buy and Target with their sales and put the same stuff up around the same time. So you may be able to get this bundle on Amazon for 200 bucks as well. So keep that in mind, too. But uh, that's everything that I pulled. So we'll have to wait and see uh, what actually we pick up. Like I said, we'll report back next week. One of the discussions we'll have is our Black Friday hauls. That's going to take us. To our trip down memory lane, number four, part four of a five part series. We'll conclude this next week. We'll conclude this with the uh, the last episode of November. So a five part series for part four. I want to talk about what we were going to talk about last week until we added a fifth part to this. We talked about strategy guys last week because of the news of uh, Prima game shutting down. That was never intended to be part of the trip down memory lane. But because of them shutting down, we added it. This week, we're going to talk about gaming magazines. First, let's talk about the the subscriptions that we used to have back in the day. Before we get into the little project and experiment we did, let's talk about what we used to subscribe to. And I'm curious to hear what you subscribe to then and if you have any current magazine subscriptions. So I want I want you to go first. I want you to know what you used to subscribe to and if you subscribe to anything as of now. I was a Nintendo original Nintendo Power guy before it was Nintendo Power. Okay. Uh, what was it? It was the Nintendo newsletter, I believe it was called. Before issue one. Before issue one, um, there were some other things that came out. Eventually, once it became Nintendo Power, I stayed with that for pretty much the entire run. Okay. I, I wish I had. I wish I kept them all over the years. You don't have um, them. My my buddy has every single episode of uh, issue upstairs, but I don't. I've, okay. I've lost them over the years. Uh, I've had floods. I've talked about them before how I lost all my comics. My, yeah. my Nintendo's were in there as well. Um, but I remember that 
after I believe it was a year or two years, they gave you a Nintendo Power like pin, kind of like how you get when you fly as a kid on an airplane. Like they give you the, the pilot wings. Uh, they had the Nintendo Power pin. And then further on, there was another pin. So I got all the rewards along the way. Any kind of prizes and things they gave out for uh, for, for for staying loyal, I got. Yeah. Um, I had that. I also had um, Game Pro. Okay. Game Pro. Uh, I used to have that delivered to the house on the regular. Uh, and I also used to get PC Gamer whenever I would go out. Okay, so that's the one you used to buy at the store. That's the one I would buy at the store. But uh, Game Pro um, was before Game Informer. Yes. Um, I believe Funko Land was the one that was like selling magazine subscriptions to it. And Funko Land eventually got absorbed into Babbage's, into yeah, GameStop. Into GameStop. And yeah. But Ga- Game Pro was still a thing even after Game Informer started. Yeah. Like it wasn't the same company. Well, because they because they weren't selling Game Informer like here they they they, they wrap that all into like your pro membership for GameStop. Yeah, the re- the rewards program or whatever it's called now. They were literally selling magazine subscriptions. Is what they were doing. So like I guess they were getting a commission off of that. Okay. Uh, and that was a good magazine. I used to have video game magazines everywhere. I would also buy tips and tricks. Okay. Uh, from the store, and that was that was another popular one. Um, and. In the early 2000s, I was also getting the Xbox magazine. Okay. Uh, do you have any current magazine subscriptions? Not a one. In fact, I used to, uh, my, my Game Informers all started drying up too because I don't have a, a pro membership anymore. Okay. Um, your magazine subscription history is very similar to mine. Okay. Uh, which is very, you know, that's not surprising to me at all. Makes sense. But uh, I also had a subscription to Nintendo Power. Now, not before it was Nintendo Power and not even with issue one. I subscribed to Nintendo Power starting in the early 90s and I had a subscription through it expiring, like canceling. So I had all through all through like the early, mid, late 90s and up through when Nintendo Power officially stopped being a magazine. I was a subscriber to that magazine. That was my favorite one. That's my that's still to this day my favorite one. I don't know what year it was, but it was Smash Brothers Melee. So we're uh, 2000, uh, 2001. Did you get the CD pack in that came with it? Yes. You, okay, okay, I was wondering if it was everyone or if it was just people who are. Uh, okay. I, I mean, I, I get I was just a subscriber since the early 90s. So, I mean, it may have been. I was wondering, I was wondering, I was wondering if it was something for because I said there were loyalty things. They were sent to us every once in a while for staying with from the very beginning. Oh, yeah. yeah no, no, no. So I was wondering not, if that was one of them. No, okay. I did. I did get that. But uh, and, and I wasn't there since episode one. Um. So besides Nintendo Power, which was the one I used to look forward to the most. Uh, every single time that would come in the mail, literally as a kid, I would read that cover to cover every single article, every single review, every single preview, every single feature uh, during the summer. I would take it down and sit by the pool and read it down there because uh, we lived in an apartment complex without a pool. My mom and I, I would take it down there and read it down there. Um, that was my favorite one. Uh, that's the one that got my my hype for Animal Crossing so much. Yeah. Um, I also had a subscription to Game Pro. Game Pro was my second favorite magazine and the, the one I looked forward to these, you know, besides Nintendo Power, that was the one I look forward to getting the most each month. Um, really enjoyed that magazine. Uh, I had a subscription to the official PlayStation magazine for nice. three or four years. I had that one and the tail end of the original Xbox and the beginning of the Xbox 360. I also subscribed to the official Xbox magazine. Um, there was also. There was one other magazine that I cannot remember the name of that I had a subscription to for two years 
that I got from you remember when you used to get those magazine subscriptions through your school and you would go door to door and try to sell magazines. Well, there was a gaming magazine in one of them one year and I my mom ordered it for me and I had it for two years. I cannot remember the name of it. It wasn't EGM. It wasn't anything big. It was just a smaller gaming magazine that I got for two years, but I cannot remember the name of it. And I do not have any of the editions or else I would have pulled it out for for this. Uh, And much like you, I do not have a current magazine subscription. Um, The most recent one I had expired beginning of this year because Jessica has a a membership to GameStop because she does buy used games from time to time. Um, Every now and then they'll do like, if, if I ever trade stuff in or we ever trade stuff into GameStop, like if, if, if I'm really pressed for cash and I need to get a new game to cover for the show or cover it for the review or something and I trade stuff in. If I trade enough stuff in to cover the cost of the magazine subscription, like the, you know, getting the pro account, then I'll do it. So, like, if I trade That's enough nice. stuff and it's worth, like, getting the magazine and it'll offset the cost, like, you know, because if you trade stuff in, you get a certain percentage. Like, if you so- have... Yeah, well... You have, is it 20% extra? Is that how it works? Mm-hmm. So with that 20% extra, if it's enough to offset the cost of the magazine, plus still have a little bit left over, I always take the magazine subscription as well. Why not? Yeah. So um, the last time I did that, we did that last year and we got the magazine subscription through the beginning of the year. But uh, that's the most recent magazine subscription I had. So I believe that expired in February of this year. Um, but we did an experiment over the past week. It broke my heart, this experiment, man. <laughs> we, obviously, we recognize that magazines are not a hot commodity in the United States in 2018. Print is not a hot commodity. People want information oh. now. They want it at the tip of their fingertips, and that's what the internet is for. You that's goddamn millennials. That's what, uh, zennials <laughs> is what I referred, is what, is, is, actually looked into that. We are zennials. We are not millennials, dude. We are zennials. We are zennials, yeah. which was the. I don't like, I don't like that name either. It's the precursor to the millennials, but zennials is way cooler. I, I looked into it. I think we should lobby for a better name. I say we go with the Avengers. <laughs> Uh, over in like the UK, Germany, France, magazines are still a very hot thing. And I, I found this out, but, uh, we decided to go to some local stores and see what gaming magazines we could find. And if we found any, we were going to buy them. Did you find anything? And this, this did not include Game Informer, which only uh, no, sold at GameStop. Yeah. Uh, I crapped out and I went to quite a few places. Uh, first place I went, cause well, I said Walmart is right there. Was I went to Walmart and not only are there no video game magazines, there's no magazines, magazines. There's no periodical section anymore. Is there still a book section in your Walmart or no? There's a book section. Okay. And it wasn't in the book section. Okay. Uh, there was, they didn't have, they had no magazines. I was like, that, even the book section was very pathetic. It was like just a little key off the sides of my desk. Oh, wow. See, our, our Walmart still has magazines and a book section. It would have been nice. I did not go to Walmart. I should have. So, um, after Walmart, I was like, you know what? Target's only five minutes from there. Went over to Target. No magazines. Wow. Um, so I went to 7-Eleven. They had comic books. Oh, okay. A, a few, but uh, I, but no video game magazines. Um, and then I went to the, the gas station, the quick check. I was like, they have to have magazines. Not a single magazine. <laughs> uh I honestly, I went everywhere short of going to the actual supermarket itself, which I bet you probably would have had a video game magazine. Yeah, PC Gamer. <laughs> probably PC Gamer. Yeah. But uh, like I said, I went all over town. Couldn't find a one. Yeah. Uh, 
back in the day, they were everywhere. Yeah. And it's something that I've never thought of. Like, I never thought because I don't actively look for magazines when I'm in the store, but I've never noticed them silently going away either. So I, when, when we did this experiment, uh, it, it was pretty eye opening. Much like you, I had a hard time finding magazines at any store except for Barnes and Noble. I mean, if if, 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 if anyone's going to have it, it's going to be a place that actually yeah. specializes in print media. So we have a, a local Barnes and Noble store up the street about 15 minutes away. It's a standalone store. It's not in a mall or anything like that. It's a very, very nice store. I love that store. Uh, they have an entire newsstand section. And they have more magazines than any normal store ever has the right to carry. They have over like a thousand different types of magazines and they have guns and ammo. I did not get guns and ammo, Uh, but there was a nice magazine that had guns and roses on the front cover. Uh, I actually took a picture of it and sent it to you. It's called rock candy. Uh, What I realized, and this is what I was talking about. Magazines are a very hot commodity over in the United Kingdom. Because there are several gaming magazines that are currently in print and in production that you can get subscriptions to. And you can subscribe to them here in the U.S. and they will send them to you from the U.K. A bit more expensive, but you can do it. Um, and they're they're nice ass magazines, dude. So I, I took a picture of a Speaking bunch of, nice of these magazines, magazines. Yeah, they have those, too. Um, <laughs> but uh, when I was looking at these magazines and, and I was going to buy them because, I mean, there was four that I wanted to buy PC Gamer, obviously Retro Gamer Games TM, which I think stands for Games Tomorrow and Edge, which is not Electronic Gaming Monthly. This is just a new magazine called Edge. Uh, each issue PC Gamer was the cheapest at nine dollars for an issue. Retro Gamer Games TM. Well, at Barnes and Noble, it probably wasn't. If you go into like Walmart, it's probably probably like six or seven. Still, um, okay. Retro Gamer Games TM and Edge were sixteen ninety nine a piece. I could not justify spending seventeen dollars on an issue of these magazines, so I started digging around and I found an app on. You can get this app on PC. You can get this app on Android or um, Apple called Pocket Mags, which lets you subscribe to these magazines digitally or buy digital editions of these magazines. And this is 100% legal. Goes to the actual companies. This is not like downloading them them illegally or whatever. This is 100% legal because it's done through the app and you can subscribe to them and everything. These are only $3.99 an issue because it's digital print. It's not you're not actually getting the physical media. You know what I mean? You're not getting the physical thing imported from the UK that you have to print on your on your computer and you print it up yourself well you could technically it is a pdf i mean you could do that i mean i started doing that for a comic book oh Oh, nice you actually do do that you actually do do that um i'm cheap i told you yeah Uh, we've established this but uh so i bought i bought the four games that i was or the four magazines i was interested in i bought a, a digital copy of pc gamer i bought a digital copy of retro gamer a digital copy of games tomorrow and a digital copy of edge and i took notes i read through all four of these over the past week And I took notes and here's what I found. So for the latest edition of PC Gamer, the top story was Telltale Games shutting down. Uh, They had an article called Inside Development, How Time Works in Games, which was really an interesting read. Uh, Basically talked about like how game developers program time into the games and the way time, the mechanic of time works in game settings. I actually thought that was an interesting read. I really enjoyed that. They had a challenge, an update to a challenge that all the editors and people that work at PC Gamer are taking a part in. And this is a challenge that I want you and I to do in 2019. 
I think this will be fun. The challenge was playing 100 games in one year. And every every edition of the magazine, they give an update on their progress. Now, this meant for them what this what this whole challenge is, is clearing their backlog. So finishing these games, finishing 100 games. But what finish means to me may not be what finish means to you. That just means being done with the game. Now, if you start a game, you play it for two hours and you don't like it. That doesn't count. But if you do, like, if you just do the main story, that's 10 hours and there's like 30 additional hours of content, but you don't want to do that. That's still finishing the game in your opinion. So that would count as long as you finish something about it. It's a fun challenge and I want to do it for next year. I want to try to clear my backlog. 50. No, we're going 100. You could do 50. Well, you could do 50. I'm going 100. That, you know, that's finishing a game on average every three ish days. Two games a week. Two games a week. Would get you 104 games. Okay. Yeah. Two games a week would get you 104 games. So I want to try it. I want to see how we do. So starting the first episode again, that'll be January 7th. And remember, check your podcast feed starting January 7th to make sure the podcast is still showing up for you. If you don't see a new one, check the feeds, resubscribe to the podcast because you may need to. Um, Every week. I want to do a progress report and we'll put this somewhere after the campaign games and after tasty treats before the weekly suit news report. We'll do a progress report on our challenge and we'll we'll think of a fun name for it, but it'll be one year to play 100 games or in your case, 50. We'll let you do. We'll let, I'll let you slide I'll, with 50. I'll, I'll still try to go. For you could it, try. You could try to go for 100, but I'll let you slide for 50 because I know you don't have as much time as I do. But I'm going to try for the 100 because that would get my backlog to less than 50 games would be great. So I'm going to try it. Uh. In this episode of PC Gamer, obviously, they had previews. They did previews for Cyberpunk 2077, Imperator Rome, a game called Weedcraft Incorporated, which is exactly what you think it is. It's growing weed uh, beyond blue overcrowd and an EGX roundup. They had reviews Forza Horizon 4. They gave an 89 Frozen Synapse 2. They gave an 85 Mega Aquarium. They gave an 86 Shadow of the Tomb Raider. They gave an 84 Valkyria Chronicles 4. They gave an 86 Pathfinder Kingmaker a 69 and Destiny 2 Forsaken an 86. Uh, they have a ton of write ups in the latest PC hardware and accessories, as you would imagine, it's PC Gamer. And there were a lot of ads for games, you know, like Origin, Razer, Desert Storm, like these video like these computer manufacturers a lot of ads for those and types of accessories and at the end of the magazine they had a buyer's guide like you know like if you wanted to buy a new computer that month like what would be the best thing you could put together so i thought that was interesting cool magazine still uh the one i think you would like the most is retro gamer so this is a fun little magazine that's printed over in the uk their feature story was pinball wizards these guys that go out and collect pinball uh like standalone arcade machines I i thought that was fun to read through They had a a feature story called Retro Classics Reborn, talking about Dot Emu bringing back Streets of Rage and Windjammers with the the new sequels that were announced recently. So I thought that was fun. Uh, They do a segment called The Latest News from Month and Year. So I I, I wrote that myself, but technically in this episode, it was the latest news from October 2001. Where they talk about what was hot in October 2001, the news that was, you know, mainstream then, which happened to be Mario Kart Super Circuit releasing on the Game Boy Advance. Uh, They list the best selling games for that month, which was on the PlayStation 1, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 and on the PlayStation 2, Gran Turismo 3 A-Spec. they, they do like a breakdown of the charts, like what people were listening to, what people were watching, what people were playing and what was being talked about 
in that month and year. So that this episode was That's October cool. 2001. I thought that was interesting. Uh, they had an entire write up on the history of Fallout, kind of coinciding with Fallout 76 releasing. So that was neat. Uh, they do these features on like the making of. So there were several, the two that I picked out, the making of Skydiver and the making of Krusty's Funhouse. And they interview the team that made these games, talk about the, the hardships that they went through, how they made these games, what they did to make these games. And I thought that was actually really an interesting read to see how games were made back then compared to now. And then there was a write up on Team 17, who is currently trying to bring back a lot of these classic type of feels with games like ukulele and that stuff. So that was really cool to see. Uh, the magazine that I would have preferred a subscription to the most had it not been ending games TM, but the magazine, the, the one I bought episode 206 or edition 206 was the final edition of this magazine. They're shutting it down as of November, 2018. So that magazine is no more. Uh, and it's really sad because games TM is very much what game pro was. It's basically like the new version of game pro. And it felt like just looking through and scrolling through the magazine. Cause I bought it digitally reminded me so much of scrolling through an episode of game, uh, an edition of game pro. Uh, there were several previews in, in games. TM just cause Four, man and Medan, team Sonic racing and dark siders four, or I'm sorry, dark siders three to name a few. Uh, they had a feature story on rage Two, a feature story on dying light Two. A fun little story here. 15 ways Super Smash Brothers Ultimate will live up to its name. Now, I didn't write down what those fun ways were, but I'm going to pull it up here. Let me let me pull it up here in the app and let's see what the 15 ways are that Super Smash Brothers will live up to its name. Let me find it here. Where was it? Uh, Here it is right here, because that's Rage 2. Here's Dying Light. So we're getting there. Here it is. 15 ways Super Smash Brothers Ultimate will live up to its name. Number one, everyone is here. Number two, it's noticeably faster than Smash 4. Number three, it supports GameCube controllers. Number four, Smashdown mode is all about maining multiple fighters. Number five, there's almost double the stages of the previous Smash. Number six, you can access Omega and Battlefield versions of every stage. Number seven, stages can morph into one another. Number eight, dash canceling is back. Number nine, final smashes are much shorter. Number 10, perfect shield turns defense into offense. Number 11, utilize air attacks on the ground. Number 12, 1v1 matches finish faster thanks to higher damage output. Number 13, bosses are back to cause trouble. Number 14, all the echo fighters you could ever need. And number 15, directional air dodges are back. Now, with every point that they mention, there's an there's like two or three paragraphs for each one that says why they think that. So fun little thing to read through there. Um, they did another feature story on Cyberpunk 2077 and then it was their review section. So they gave Assassin and theirs is out of 10. So they go like five out of 10, six out of 10, whereas PC Gamer or, uh, does like, you know, like 80 out of 190 of that kind of stuff. Uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, they gave eight out of 10. Forza Horizon 4, nine out of 10. FIFA 19, seven out of 10. Frozen Synapse 2, 7 out of 10. Super Mario Party, 7 out of 10. Transference, 6 out of 10. The one I do not agree with, Dragon Quest 11, 6 out of 10. And The Guardians Between, 8 out of 10. Uh, they had a retro section near the back that talked about Quake, uh, side-scrolling beat-em-ups like River City Ransom, and Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. And then a touching conclusion to the magazine, the very last page was the Super Mario Brothers 3 curtain close with the words, The End. And that was literally the last page of the magazine. That's a good, that's a good way to end the magazine. I like yeah. that. 
So so that's how they ended the uh, the final episode of or a final edition of of Games TM. The last magazine I want to talk a brief a little bit about is Edge. And I got the uh, the Christmas 2018 edition of this magazine. Another fun magazine, one that I'm considering actually picking up a subscription to because it's still in print and it actually is fun. I'd like to have a physical copy of this, though. So I may actually buy a physical subscription to this. Yeah, exactly. I agree with you. Uh, And this one's a very old school magazine. At the beginning, they have letters to the editor. Uh, random quotes from industry people like talking like just things heard around the industry like GamePro used to do uh, random ass articles like, you know, this is the latest things you could buy at stores. And but again, it's all UK stuff, but still still cool. Um, after all that jargon, they moved on to their their preview section, which they title hype. They don't call it preview. They call it hype. This is the hype section. So under the hype section, they had Resident Evil 2 remake Project Judge and uh Four games I hadn't heard of that I'm actually interested in now. Nostos, Project Nova, Vane, and Paradise Lost. They had a feature story on Devil May Cry 5, which is the cover of the magazine. That other feature story was on Yosuyuki Oda and SNK's 30th anniversary, which was a cool read. There was a feature story on Amata Design, which is an indie studio. And then a fun little thing that they do is they do a studio profile every edition. So the studio profile for this edition was Playground Games, known for the Forza Horizon series and potentially the next Fable. So they talk about like they they go in and interview people from the studio, talk about their work environment. I thought it was actually pretty neat. And then uh, the review section, they did Red Dead Redemption 2. This episode gave it a 10 out of 10. Assassin's Creed Odyssey, 7 out of 10. Starlink Battle for Atlas, 6 out of 10. Call of Duty Black Ops 4, 7 out of 10. Fist of the North Star Lost Paradise, 6 out of 10. Astro Bot Rescue Mission, 9 out of 10. Super Mario Party, 7 out of 10. Return of the Obra Din, 9 out of 10, which actually seems like a fun little indie game I want to pick up after reading the review on that. And uh, that was the last review they did. And then they did something on Monster Hunter. And then the last thing that they do in this magazine is called The Long Game, which is a progress report on games that they still are playing. And it was a write-up on Stardew Valley with one of the editors still playing through that game. So all in all... My my journey through these four magazines really brought back a lot of memories of being a kid and reading through these magazines. And uh, I think my big takeaway is that obviously magazines in the U.S. are are non-existent anymore, except for like fashion magazines and uh, hunting magazines and cooking magazines are the, the ones I see the most at like regular stores. Well, you need your soldier of fortune. Exactly. But uh, technology magazines, gaming magazines, not really a thing. But over in the U.K., they are thriving and I think I'm going to try to get a subscription to Edge. I think I'm going to try to get that because, like I said, I, I miss getting physical magazines in the mail. And uh, I'm not a huge fan of Game Informer. So I, I think I'm going to try to pick up a subscription to uh, to Edge. But let's talk some sad news here. But this is it's sad. But at the same time, it's hopeful. But as I mentioned earlier, Sony's doing some weird things right now. Before we talk about this and discuss what this could potentially mean, Let's start off with a quote, and this actually, even though I don't like Game Informer, this article comes from Game Informer because they're the ones that broke the story. Quote, as the industry evolves, Sony Interactive Entertainment continues to look for inventive opportunities to engage the community. The company told Game Informer in a statement, PlayStation fans mean the world to us, and we always want to innovate, think differently, and experiment with new ways to delight gamers. As a result, we have decided not to participate in E3 in 2019. We are exploring new and familiar ways to engage our community in 2019 and can't wait to share our plans with you. 
When asked if Sony would push its event off-site, similar to how Electronic Arts provides a show adjacent to E3 with EA Play, PlayStation Senior Vice President of Communications Jennifer Clark elaborated further, saying we will not activate or hold a press conference around E3. Sony's withdrawal from E3 likely comes as a disappointment to fans that look forward to the company's stage shows as a centerpiece for the expo as a whole. From huge announcements like Spider-Man and Horizon Zero Dawn to tense onstage demos like The Last of Us, Sony has always brought a certain flair to the show. The press conference battle between Microsoft and Sony, especially once Nintendo changed to a video format, is often the talk of E3. The announcement comes after Sony declined to hold their annual fan event called PlayStation Experience or PSX, later this year, which usually takes place in the first two weeks of December. Uh, Sony Interactive Entertainment chairman Sean Layden said at the time that there simply was not enough to show this year, a problem that fans also pointed out during the previous year's more low-key event. And adding my own interjection here, we could see that at E3 this year as well, because their E3 press conference was yeah, nothing to write home about. It was very weird. It was, it was very, stage, very weird. Yeah, it was very weird this year. The official statement suggests that Sony plans to engage the community in other events. Does this mean Sony will be reviving the currently shuttered PlayStation experience? Quote, we are looking at events as a whole and how we can speak more to our fans and continue to wow them. The timing of PSX and E3 didn't allow for that, Clark replied. But lots of exciting things to come, and we hope to share shortly. Some of our biggest games will have key milestones next year, so we will work hard to blow those up. End quote and article from Game Informer. Now... The one thing I want to dial in and focus on the most as we start talking about this, what uh, Jennifer Clark said there at the end of the article, the timing of PlayStation experience in 2018 and E3 2019 did not allow for them to speak more to their fans and continue to wow them. That tells me all they have right now is everything that we've already seen time and time again. Last of Us Part Two, Death Stranding, Days Gone. That's it. And people are sick of seeing those games. We just want to play them. We just want to play Days Gone. We just want to play Last of Us Part. We don't want to see any more in Last of Us Part. We don't want things spoiled. We don't want to see more. And I really don't want to see more on Death Stranding because every time I see more on Death Stranding, I get less and less interested in that game. He needs the, the Kojima just needs to put the game out and hope for the best at this point, because uh, I think a lot of people, as they see more and more and realize that it looks like a walking simulator with nothing going on, people are scared for Death Stranding. So if they continue to showcase these games that are still potentially a year or two away, Last of Us is 2019, Death Stranding potentially 2020, but... The more they show these games that are still about a year away, the less people are excited. So they're saying here that they're not going to have, again, the timing of PlayStation experience and E3 did not allow us to continue to wow and speak to our fans, which tells me what we talked about several weeks ago with um, the PlayStation meeting 2019, how I speculated it could be in February with the console releasing late February, not going to happen because that would be before E3 would have taken place in June. So what I'm thinking here, by the way this was phrased, sometime after June 2019 and before December 2019 will be a PlayStation meeting or a PlayStation experience or something where they will announce the PlayStation 5. They're not holding another conference. They're not holding anything else until they're ready to announce the PlayStation 5. That's just, that's it. That's it. I just think that they only have a few things and that's not enough to pull up a whole conference. So what do you imagine them doing in 2019 or 2020? Kind of like, kind of like Nintendo directs. Okay. Well, just keep in mind the PS4 is done. 
Just keep in mind the PS4 is done. It's not done. You have, you have two years of PS4 left. No, you don't. These are the last three first party games coming out on PS4. Days Gone, Last of Us Part 2, and Death Stranding. That's it. The last, the last three first party games coming to PS4. Maybe. Guaranteed. If they had more, there would be grounds for a conference to announce said games. Xbox Scarlet's coming in 2020. Sony is not going to let them get a year in advance. PlayStation 5 will be on the market in 2020. Guaranteed. So had there be if they had more games to announce for 2019 and they don't, they only put out three first party games in 2018. Don't forget uh, Shadow of the Colossus being a remake, God of War and Marvel Spider-Man. All they had. Um, 2019 is the same way. They have Days Gone and The Last of Us Part 2 and Concrete Genie because Death Stranding is not next year. I promise you that with all my heart. I will cancel the show. Death Stranding is not in 2019. Mark my word. I will cancel the show. Death Stranding is not a 2019 release. Uh, it's a 2020 release and it's a PS5 game. Um, but yeah, all Sony has next uh, for next year is Concrete Genie, which is a smaller game and recently got delayed. I'm sorry. They have Medieval Remastered as well for next year because that got delayed to 2019 too. Uh, so those two smaller games and then the, three big, uh, the two big games are Days Gone and Last of Us Part 2 which are two games that are so similar. It's stupid that those are their last two first party games coming out to PS4 because they're two games centered on the same idea with an open world. Uh, kind of terrible planning on their part to, to put those two games out there then and there. If they had something to do with Sony shot or a Nintendo direct or whatever, as you mentioned it there, there would be reason enough to have a show because they could still show off things on these games that we hadn't seen before, but still announce your next games. If they had more coming to PlayStation four, the, the canceling of PSX and pulling out of E3 entirely means there is nothing left first party for PlayStation four. All studios have shifted to PS5, as we talked about several weeks ago when I went down first party by first party. Sony Santa Monica, God of War 2 on PS5. Guerrilla Games, Horizon Zero Dawn 2 on PS5. Uh, Quantic Dream, whatever they're doing next, whether it's a sequel to Detroit, sequel to Beyond Two Souls or something new entirely, who knows? That's a PS5 game. And Somniac is working on Marvel Spider-Man 2 besides this DLC for PS5. Like all these studios have shifted to PlayStation 5 because it's the next it's next. It's guaranteed to be next because we know it's coming. We now have Square Enix saying earlier in the show, we talked about this. Luminous Productions is working on a PS5 AAA game. We, as you mentioned, Bethesda announcing Starfield and the Elder Scrolls 6, the first technical next gen games being announced. The PS5, Xbox Scarlet, I, I will keep saying this, are coming in one year. They're coming in one. Well, technically, what we're going to we're going to hear what I mean is we'll be know about them in one year. They will not be out in a year, but they are coming in a year by this time next year. By end of November 2019, we will know what the Xbox Scarlet is and we will know what the PlayStation 5 is. And we'll have a general idea of when they're coming out, whether that's spring 2020 or fall 2020. I'm hoping fall 2020. I, I, I prefer my console releases in the fall as opposed to spring. But if they're spring 2020, I wouldn't complain. I would. I mean, it would just be getting them sooner. It'd be fine with me. But, no. uh, but I, I like getting new things and I like playing new games. So but uh, I, I, I hope that you're right and that there is things to show and they do something smaller. But I'm not convinced and I'm not I'm not certain that that Sony has anything. 
because I think Sony shot their load so much at the beginning of this generation. They 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 did so much goodwill, so much good faith for the fans. They really wanted to blow Microsoft out of the water. They top loaded the front half of this generation and the back half has been all Microsoft catching up, making the right moves. So so now Sony has been struggling these last two years with games coming out. Now they put out some great freaking games these years. Don't get me wrong. They put out some great games these years. But uh, that's it. Like they, they just they've had games far and few between. Nintendo has put out more first party games on a year debate with this the last two years than Sony has, which is saying a lot because it used to be the other way around, especially because sure. Nintendo had these massive droughts on the Wii U and kind of the tail end of the Wii as well. So. I really don't know what else to say here as a as just man, you know, we gotta just keep informed. Keep watching. This is gonna be interesting. As I keep saying, this is going to be an interesting year coming up because we're going to find out what this next generation actually is and what that means. Are these consoles going to be discless? Are they going to be streaming devices like the Xbox Scarlet is potentially going to be? Are we going to see announcements made next year? Are we going to maybe see a stealth release? Are we going to see them release in the spring, the fall 2020? I have no idea. But them pulling out of E3 means they have nothing to show for the PS4. So the only, all that's left after Days Gone, Last of Us Part 2, and to an extent Death Stranding, is still the third-party games coming to PS4. Sony's basically done with PlayStation 4. And that's a sad thing to say. But it makes sense. If you look at the timeline history of sony consoles and how they do things they never go out with a bang really <laughs> they always kind of fizzle away so every console ends the same way just dance yeah hey you're right <laughs> just dance and fifa let's be real fifa's always there as well but uh i'm i'm saddened by this because this really is a major blow to the e3 hype week but at the same time, at least there will still be good things to get excited for at E3. I mean, Microsoft had a great show in this past year at, at the 2018 E3. So looking forward to see what they do. But at the same time, I could almost see Microsoft pulling out of E3 in, in 2019 because they have nothing to show either. All they have are new studio acquisitions to announce. <laughs> they literally have no first party like games. We watch you. We watch exactly. you. Exactly. They're going to become the TH. Maybe they just buy THQ Nordic and let them keep buying studios. What? <laughs> but uh, they literally have no first party games besides Crackdown 3 that they're talking about. Yes, there's Battletoads being coming. Uh, yes, there's a new Fable in the works. Yes, there's Halo Infinite. Yes, there's Gears of War 5. But what are they going to show? That's what I want to know. What is Microsoft going to do now that Sony is not at E3? Are they going to scale it back? Are they going to take a more relaxed approach because they know they don't have to compete? Are they going to ramp it up to prove a point? I have no idea. So it'll be interesting to see what Microsoft does. But at least we still have Bethesda. We still have EA. We still have... Uh, Bethesda won E3 this year. Incorrect. But we still have... Uh, the PC gaming show, we still have Ubisoft, and uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. That's what we have, and and Nintendo Directs, so uh, at least there will be things to get excited for for E3, but to be honest, after Sony's conference this past year at 2018's E3, yeah, it sucked. <laughs> I'm not going to miss them in 2019 if it was going to be the same way. I'd rather than come back full force when the PS5 is ready with a bunch of new shit to announce for the PlayStation 5. 
uh, wow me. The next that, that's what it, like Jennifer Clark said. The next time I see Sony on a stage, I want to be wowed. I want to see Horizon Zero Dawn 2. I want to see what these studios are working on for the PS5. I want to see what Sony's vision of next generation is. I don't want to see Ghost of Tsushima's next month, next year. I forgot about that one. There we go. That's another one they have next year. They could have done something with that. But uh, I, I, I don't want to see the same stuff we've been seeing over and over and over again for these conferences from Sony. Because it has been the same thing every conference for the last about year and a half to two years. I want to see something new. I want to be wowed. Jennifer Clark, wow me. That's what I want. Wow, wow, we wow. Exactly. Uh, a very hefty episode. We have one more thing to talk about here before we get to kickstart my heart. Being as it's the week of being thankful. It's the week of Thanksgiving here in the United States. And as one of the things that they used to do in like elementary school was they would tell you to give a list of what you're thankful for and why. Like, you know, family, friends, food, shelter, clothing. That's the typical stuff I used to write when I was a kid in elementary school, because that's the most generic answers you can give. I want us on this episode today, because we didn't do this last year and we should have done this last year. I want us to discuss and talk about a few games each that we are thankful for, for having been made and gotten to experience throughout our gaming careers. Games that led us to discover things, games that made us fall in love with certain aspects of gaming. We came up with six games apiece. I want you to start. I've been talking for a lot, a lot this episode. I've been talking a lot. You you have not been talking much this episode. You've been very silent and quiet. So I'm going to give you time. Uh, What are your six games and why? Okay. um, Technically seven games, and I'll explain why here. Uh, From the first one, this is the two games that kind of broke me into playing video games. Uh, so they're they're tied for me. And this is the only time you ever see them both in the same sentence. So is this why you said seven? Is yeah, this, so is, the, okay, so there's two games at number one. Okay. Two, two games at number one that kind of like broke me. Oh, you playing. put yours in order. I didn't do that. Okay. Um, and that is Pitfall for the Atari and The Legend of Zelda on NES. Okay. As a kid, um, parents had an Atari. Parents were into video games. It's pretty cool. Um, well, they never played them with me at the time. <laughs> You know, um, so yeah, I played Pitfall and I thought it was really cool. Um, and I was trying to brag to my cousin Roy, who's about three years older than me, uh, lived down the block about three houses, same street. Okay. So I go over there, I'm like, yeah, I played Pitfall and I'm like three or four years old, you know. And he goes, yeah, I'm playing Zelda. I'm like, okay. And I'm watching him play Legend of Zelda and I was instantly hooked. I'm like, I told mom and dad, I was like, I need a Nintendo. You need to buy this for me now. And you know how a three or four year old's like, mommy, I want it now. Like I was, a, I'm sure I was a precocious little son of a gun. <laughs> As you still are. I mean, to, to this day, uh, I, not so much Pitfall, but uh, Legend of Zelda, it's, it's endeared. I've, I love it. It's one of my favorite, it's number two series for me of all time. Ooh, wonder what number one is. I hope that's on the list. Uh yeah. Okay. Um, and I tried to avoid picking my favorite video games. Of course, I did too. Yeah, I did too. But I, but I hope that I hope this franchise or series that's your number one is on the list somewhere. I picked my favorite video game only because it has okay. a memory tie behind it too. Okay. Um, so in the NES days, um, I was big into Super Mario Brothers. Love Super Mario Brothers. Still love Super Mario Brothers. I got Mario okay. tattoos and everything. Is that number one? before Zelda. So it yeah. goes Mario than Zelda for you. Okay. Mario than Zelda. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so after Super Mario Brothers, you know, as kids, we found out Super Mario Brothers 2 is a thing. We, uh, if you remember the very first episode issue of, uh, 
in Nintendo Power was Mario 2. Yes, it was. So we, we had to have Super Mario Brothers 2. Um, and me and my sister Nicole, like, hey, man, it's the episode. Uh, you got to get this game for us. And we played that one a lot. You know, Super Mario Brothers 1, I play Mario. Then she plays Luigi. She's perpetual Luigi. Okay. This this one, at least we're playing, you know, she was able to play as a princess and love this game. And I still love Mario Brothers 2 to this day. Probably one of my favorite games of all time. It is a good game. It is a good game. But now I hear from the series because my dad came up behind me one day as a kid. And he goes, turn that game off. No, dad. No. Like, get out of here. Stupid. He goes, no, turn that game off. I'm like, well, why? He goes, because I got you this. And he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out Super Mario Brothers 3, still wrapped in plastic. Like, he just picked it up from the store. He goes, I got you this. Nice. And like, I only, I, I, I'm pretty sure I cried. <laughs> so um, yeah. And my, you know, my sister was freaking out. She's like, oh my God. Um, and that's, you know, we, we played the hell out of that one. It is my favorite Mario game. It's probably my favorite video game of all time. I can't think of a game that I love more than Super Mario Brothers 3. Uh, I play, you know, I, I don't, in my older years, I don't play games as much as I used to. I really wish I did have the time. But I always played through Super Mario Brothers 3 at least once a year. Uh, same with uh, Link to the Past. I try to do it once a year, but I always play Mario 3 at least once a year. Nice. Um, do, 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 do. Uh, I want to shift to a a PC game here. Okay. So was that three? Did you have Mario two and Mario three on your list or was that just Mario three? Mario three was on there. Okay. 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 The first real PC game. There's plenty of PC games that I loved and played. Um, I used to play doom all the time. I used to play um, Duke Nukem with my cousin, but the game that got me into like sitting at the computer for hours on end and playing games and eventually led into me playing Diablo and loving Diablo and stuff like that. My gateway drug was Ultima Online. Oh, yeah. Okay. You talked about this a lot. Okay. Okay. Um, I invested hours, days, weeks, months, years of my life into this game, just poured myself into this game. And um, all from just a chance, I went over to my buddy Larry's house. He lived about eight blocks down, ride my bike down there. And all the guys were over there around his computer. And no one had played really games on the internet except for maybe like meet me doing like local area network with my cousin and stuff in the early days of dial up. Uh, and then I were playing, it's a mass, it's an MMO. I've never played, you know, we never played MMOs before. I think this could have been the first MMO for all I know. <laughs> um, and we're playing this and I'm like, what is this? He goes, oh, it's Ultima. And I remember Ultima as like a crappy NES game. I'm like, uh, yeah, no, this is not Ultima. He goes, no, it's Ultima. It's Ultima Online. And from there, I, I, I had to play. I went home. I got the game. I built my character. I, I, I think I told the story before in past episodes. I had to like train. My, I had to like train dragons and stuff. Yeah. I uh, and then, my, my, you know, when I was finally done with the game, like done, done, I gave everything away. Um. But yeah, I always go back. I, I love this game. There, someone has actually revived it, like the, the game itself. Put like private servers up. Now, are you still monitoring that one game I told you is very much like a spiritual successor to Ultima Online? Do you remember that? I, I have it somewhere in my bookmark, so I'm okay. actually going to find it. Okay. I save everything. You know me. I save everything. Yeah. Um, the other one, I'm willing to bet on your list. Uh, this one's special to me because of all the friendships that I built because of it. And that's Animal Crossing. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you know, Animal Crossing more than just a game. The game was fun. The game was great. I don't have a bad thing to say about Animal Crossing. Right. But uh, 
back in the days, you know, we'd hop on the online forums. I met quite a few good people there. Yep. Some really horrible, horrible people who I wish would die. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> no, I met some really good people. Uh, Brian being one of them. Yeah. Um, you know, through, through that game and uh, the community still indoors. There's still lots of good people out there. Uh, I've, I've got my this this game has actually gotten my younger sisters into video gaming. Nice. Uh, my sister Brittany plays the hell out of Animal Crossing. Loves Animal Crossing. She really wants to switch for the new Animal Crossing. So it's going to be a system seller. I guarantee you, it is going to be a system seller for the Switch. I will more than likely end up buying her for like her birthday next year. Nice, nice. Um, depending on how bonuses go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I just we talked about this on end before about digging for codes and playing these games. Just do all the weird like sub things that we do in this game. Yep. Love the hell out of it. Um, another game that I hold in that high regard for the same reason of kind of reconnecting to my friends. Uh, Halo 3. On Xbox okay. Live. Okay. Um, I was not the biggest Halo guy at first. It's not the biggest Halo guy now. Um, but Halo 3 was the the epitome of Xbox Live Online. Yeah. And it's um, And I reconnected with lots of friends because I moved away after high school. I moved to Colorado. Um, and then from Colorado, I moved to Texas like an idiot. Um, <laughs> and then Texas back to Colorado, Colorado to New York. So there's there's the whole bang. There you go. Um, but, you know, connecting with friends, uh, for, you know, I, me and Brian will play, but me and my friends in New York will play who I didn't talk to since high school. And, you know, the the the, the, the crew just came back together again. Everyone, you know, it's everybody had it. Everybody had Xbox Live. It was the first time since we were kids that we were all in a sense, back together again. Right. And like, you know, like the, the, the brotherhood started back up again. Like, you know, uh, these are, these are friends. Like, I can't believe I missed whole big chunks of their life because I wasn't there. Uh, I, I always hold high, high on a high regard just because like I said, it's, it revitalized my friendships with lots of people. Uh, it's probably, if you want to do the math and kind of work through it, it's probably the reason I'm back in New York. Okay. You know, like it's, 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 rekindled friendships that have led to me moving out here. So it's, it's a big deal. Uh, last one. Uh, the reason I wore a stupid Pokemon hat today, but I took off cause it's a little, get a little hot. I was, I was going to say, it'd be kind of weird if a Pokemon game didn't make your list. Okay. Um, it's Pokemon blue. Okay. The original, uh, which, uh, the new Pokemon let's go is yellow. So it's the same game. Yeah. That's why I'm getting a lot of that. And we'll talk about that next week. But, uh, Pokemon is not a game that Frank plays. Is that the kind of game Frank plays? No, it's not. At all. It's not. Like, not even in the slightest, but uh, there was a kid in school who I thought was the coolest guy out there. Like, I, you know, like if you're ever in school, like, you know, the one popular kid who you want to be like, that, that this kid, Jason, he was the one. I was like, okay. And he, and he was playing a Game Boy. And I have a Game Boy. I used to boys remember Game Boy to school. Um, you know, he, he had... Um, a bright red Game Boy Pocket. I had a bright red Game Boy Pocket. I was like, dude, we're like practically brothers now. <laughs> uh, and he's like, uh, and he just, he saw me have it. We, we talked about it. He goes, oh yeah, I'm playing this game called Pokemon. I was like, what's that? He goes, oh, it's, you know, you catch monsters, you battle them. And I'm like, well, yes, Mr. Jason, I'm going to get this game as well. Um, you know, cause I was, I was 16, 17 years old. I wanted to be cool. I wanted to, I wanted to hang out with the cool guy. Uh, you know, and then eventually be his cool female friends and do cool things. <laughs> None of that happened. No, of course, uh, of course it didn't. But 
the game Pokemon really just grew on me. Uh, this is before the, uh, I'm assuming this is before the cartoon was out. So I don't I, I watched the cartoon afterwards and I took my sisters to watch that and they liked that part of it and they got into the cards. But I really liked the game and it like, it opened my mind to games they would no, never play. I don't think I'd be, would've, I would have been open to playing like the Final Fantasies that you had me play this year. Yeah. If I hadn't had a Pokemon experience, like, because it, it, it really was like the first RPG that I really, really dived into and spent time and played. It was like, I could do this. I like this. Because um, otherwise, otherwise, you very are you are kind of close minded about certain games. I, I, I admittedly so. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a very ethnocentric kind of thing. I like yeah. my American stuff. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, but I definitely try to break that as often as possible. Sometimes. Uh, not that, not that often, though. <laughs> not that often. I, I admit it. Uh, yeah. I'm a little close-minded with these things. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is this all stemmed off of me just trying to be the cool kid, uh, and then, you know, eventually, um, me and friends. I, I, have, I have a memory. We just recently talked about this. Me and a friend. He, he, uh, his brother, saw that he had a copy of Pokemon Yellow from okay. the kids. He goes, "Can I have it?" He goes, "Yeah, sure." I don't even remember buying this stupid thing. And huh. in my head, I'm like. I remember uh, we went to the mall together. We were hanging out. It was a wonderful day, and we picked it up together. A wonderful day in the neighborhood. <laughs> like it was, it was, a, it was a cool day hanging out with the bros. And like we actually like it was the first game I pre-ordered. Ever. Okay, okay, ever. Uh, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll never, never forget that. It was the first time GameStop got my money for pre-ordering a game. Nice. Um, but yeah, I like said, Pokemon has endured through. I love Pokemon. I'll never not play Pokemon. Okay. Uh, those are my those are the games I'm thankful for. Okay. Um, my list is going to somewhat resemble yours, but not not entirely. Uh, yeah, different reasons. <laughs> yeah, obviously different reasons. But there is one game on here that is for the same reason, and and you you kind of hit the nail on the head. Uh, I put Animal Crossing on my list, uh, and I, and I, I I again I did not put mine in any specific order. I literally just wrote games down and wrote like little notes as to to why I'm picking these games. Yeah, but but I didn't put them in any specific order. Uh, so my, so the first one on my list is Animal Crossing. And as you mentioned, it really is due in part to the friendships that I built around playing this game, the original game on the GameCube. Uh, that's the one I'm talking about here. Uh, friendships with people such as yourself and other people that we've met throughout the community, finding these universal codes, connecting with people, talking about the game. Uh, it was a lot of fun. My second biggest reason for Animal Crossing GameCube being on my list is it made me fall in love with making websites and yeah. really is the reason why level down games exists today. Like, isn't it crazy to think that like, you can credit your entire life to a video game? Like, I can credit yeah. mine to Halo 3. Yeah. You can yeah. Down crossing. Yeah. Uh, so, so for those that don't know, leveldowngames.com is not my first website that I've ever created and owned. Uh, I used to have a website called animal crossing society and it was animal crossing society.com. And I used to to run that website with uh, several other people, a um, couple different administrators, Austin down in Texas. Uh, those two or three others yourself was you were at one point. Um, but uh, and, and we just had this website that we worked on and consistently updated. There was guides on there, universal codes and the bread and butter. Of the website were the forums where we had. Man, tens of thousands of registered users and active daily and contests ongoing, events ongoing. The Level Down Games Awards is inspired by my Animal Crossing Society Awards that I used to do. Forty-five um, pages of writing. Yeah, it really was like, it, and that's no, that's no joke. I really wrote like a mini story. So 
and I used to design this website. I don't know how I did it. And I don't know how I taught myself as a freaking, um, you know, teenager going into college. But because like, I was, you know, getting ready to graduate high school when we created. Well, I was actually I was a junior when we started Animal Crossing Society and I was a senior when it really started flourishing. And then my first year of college is when it really started doing well. And then I shut it down. <laughs> but uh, I was designing this website in Dreamweaver. So Adobe Dreamweaver which is a hard ass program to learn and use. But I taught myself how to do it. I taught myself PHP. I taught myself JavaScript. I taught myself HTML. I taught myself CSS and I actually was good at it. And it's the reason why I can now a lot of coding has changed and there's a lot of new rules and a lot of new ways to do things. But it's a reason that I'm still knowledgeable enough to take WordPress, which is what leveldowngames.com runs off of and modify it to our specific needs and and make leveldowngames.com look the way that it does and run the way that it does. Now, it's still not perfect and I'm still not completely happy with it. And I don't know that I ever will be because I'm constantly always making changes. And even with Animal Crossing's Wet Society, yeah, even with ACS, I was constantly making changes and doing things. So uh, I don't know that I'll ever be happy with it, but. I, I, I'm content with the way that it looks and the way that it runs now. But yeah, my our, my my love for making websites, my love for, you know, doing what I do now, reviewing games, my friendships that I have all spawned off of Animal Crossing. So crazy to think about uh, the next game on my list that I'm thankful for is The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. So while while it's true that Ocarina of Time is my favorite Zelda game of all time, It's the Legend of Zelda, a link to the past that made me fall in love with the Legend of Zelda franchise, which is now one of my top two favorite franchises of all time. So. Had I not played because I didn't play um, Zelda two on the NES, I never played it until until after a link to the past and after Ocarina of Time, I went back and played that. I didn't play Zelda two. I played the original Legend of Zelda. But I sucked at it, dude. I was terrible. You were a kid. I was, yes, three and four years old when I played The Legend of Zelda on the NES. And I sucked so bad. No clue what I was doing. I didn't finish that game until I was a teenager. I didn't know how to do the dungeons. I didn't know how to find the dungeons, let alone do them. Uh, Literally just died over and over again. I thought the game was terrible because I had no idea what I was doing. But again, I was a three and four year old kid. It wasn't like my Super Mario Brothers one, two and three, where I knew exactly how to play the game and what I was doing. Zelda Zelda was more. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You move to the right jump on things. Zelda was more of an adventure and it was it was fun. And once I realized that and I got older, Zelda to me is like one of the best NES games of all time, but not back then. But A Link to the Past, I was a little bit older when I got it. And I truly understood the game and fell in love with it. And it is one of my favorite Zelda games of all time. It's just not my favorite one, but it really did lead to my favorite game of all time. Well, one of my favorite games of all time, Ocarina of Time and loving the Legend of Zelda franchise and everything that comes with it. Like I own a lot of merchandise for Zelda uh, memorabilia, love the cartoon, all that. Like, I mean, just everything about it. A Link to the Past really made me fall in love with it. And some of my favorite gaming memories are sitting around the SNES with my friends playing A Link to the Past. So so that that had to make the list. Um, another one that has to make the list for me is Warcraft 3 Reign of Chaos. Um, not only am I terrible at RTS games, real time strategy games? This made me actually appreciate the genre and want to try other real time strategy games like Civilization and like Starcraft 
and and opened me up much like you opening up with Pokemon opening up to your new genre. Um, Warcraft three and, you know, Reign of Chaos and eventually the expansion of Frozen Throne opened me up to a genre that I had never played before and probably never would have had it not been for the Warcraft name. Now, I didn't know anything about Warcraft when I picked up Warcraft three. I saw it in a store. I thought it looked cool. I read the back and it sounded interesting. Didn't even know it was an RTS when I got it. So I I got home and I literally fell in love with the lore of this game and the deep storytelling that Blizzard has crafted with the, the Warcraft universe. And Warcraft 3 Reign of Chaos made me appreciate lore in video games. And the backstories and why everything is happening and keeping things connected going forward. So and obviously it led to my second favorite game of all time with Ocarina of Time, World of Warcraft, which so uh, I have to give props to Warcraft 3 Reign of Chaos. But yeah, really just again, because of this game. I appreciate lore in games and music to an extent on, on a much deeper level because of, of everything Blizzard was able to craft. Um, number four, I do have a Mario game on my list. I have Super Mario World, though, on my list. Again, we're going to the SNES era um, for a few particular reasons. The biggest one is the countless amount of hours that I had spent playing with my dad with this game. And obviously, for for those that know me, my dad has since been passed away since 1994, uh, passed away at a, at a young age when I was a young age. And uh, but before that had happened, him and I got to spend some quality time together playing games like this, playing it. One game that didn't make my list, Sonic Spinball. But, you know, that was another game that him and I used to play all the time together and uh, Super Offroad, another game that didn't make my list. But um, another game that him and I used to play hours upon hours of together. But uh, the one that I remember the most and the one that I appreciate the most was Super Mario World because him and I would pass the controller back and forth. Every time one of us would die, we would pass like if I died, I'd pass it to him. He died. He'd pass it to me and we would take turns and we would just go through this game over and over and over and over again. And we would just constantly play the crap out of this game. Um, and it was fun. I loved it. And I, I, I loved every aspect. And like, if I, if I got from school and he was playing, I was like, wait, what are you doing? Like something we do together. Like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like be mad, but, uh, I, I would always be like, that's not fair. I'm at school when you're sitting here playing super Mario world. I should get to stay home and play. <laughs> I, I had that same exchange with my parents. I've yeah. come home and seen them playing yeah. Tetris. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like I should be home playing too. What do you, what is this? But, uh, super Mario world, even though I loved super Mario one, two and three, Super Mario Road really made me fall in love with the Mario franchise. And obviously that led to me wanting to get a Super Mario 64 and the Nintendo 64 and that magical Christmas in 96 with my grandma on Christmas Eve with uh, getting the, the Nintendo 64 and literally spending two, two or three hours just literally walking around outside of Princess Peach's castle in Super Mario 64 before I even went inside. And I told the story many, many times. But yeah, I got to give credit to Super Mario Road for that one. Uh, the next one on my list is a game. Now... Those, again, those that know me know that role-playing games, specifically Japanese role-playing games, even though I do love Western RPGs and isometric RPGs, Japanese RPGs are my favorite genre of all time. This particular game made me fall in love with JRPGs all over again, and that's Persona 4. So while while I had, uh, you know, obviously the Final Fantasies, all the Final Fantasies up through Persona 4, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12... Uh, four, six, Chrono Cross, Chrono Trigger, Star Ocean, Valkyria, uh, Valkyria Profile, all these games 
Valkyrie profile, not Valkyrie. I combined two games there. <laughs> Valkyrie profile. Um, all these games I absolutely loved, but Persona 4 made me fall in love with the genre all over again because it was so different. And it really was the first JRPG that I felt took the genre into a new generation of JRPGs. So, and it's why I still like, yes, I love JRPGs, but I will say that they, they become the same game after so many games. Like it's literally the same formula over and over and over again, but I like that. I find it fun. I play for the characters and the story and the music and the, and the battles because the battles are insanely fun. But uh, Persona 4 did so many things different with the social links and, and the way you had to go out and actually make bonds with your party members and bonds with these other people that lived in the world and the way that it worked on an actual calendar and you had day to day activities you had to do and you could actually partake in certain things and you can miss things by not partaking in these activities each day. Persona 4 made me fall in love with JRPGs all over again. And that led to Persona 5, which I feel is one of the greatest games ever made. So um, I, I really do attribute Persona and the Persona franchise for reinvigorating my love of Japanese role playing games and keeping the genre still somewhat in the forefront because it's Atlas with Persona and it's Falcom with Trails and Ease that are keeping the JRPG genre alive because Square Enix certainly isn't doing it anymore. <laughs> my last game that I'm thankful for is the most recent game on my list, a game that came out in 2017. But I had to put it on here because of the lasting impression that it made on me. Near Automata. One of my all time favorite games now after playing it, but a game that I am truly thankful for having experienced and played because it made me realize how much a game can leave a lasting impression on you, how much a game can take you on an emotional roller coaster and make you question every single thing you know in real life. This game oh, wow. is superb. Uh, one of the again with Persona 5 being one of the greatest games ever made. Nier Automata is also one of the greatest games ever made. And it's crazy because these two games released in one week of each other or no, sorry, one month of each other. It was Nier Automata and Breath of the Wild and Horizon Zero Dawn were all the same week. All 10 out of 10s at leveldowngames.com. Persona 5 was one month later, which was also a 10 out of 10. Um, but yeah, this this game with its six different endings that completely like and it wasn't like multiple endings that you could uh, you get one or the other. It was you get one ending, you play the game again, you get the second ending, you play the game again, you get the third ending. And then when you start the game again, it picks up at the end of the third ending and endings four, five and six are a completely different game. And it was so freaking cool that they did this where you had this game that you thought you were finished with. You finished it three times. You saw these three different endings. But then when you started it a fourth time, it's a completely different game because you're starting at the ending of ending three, playing a completely different character, playing a completely different story in the same world, obviously. But then endings four and five are so good. And then ending six blows everything away and really makes you question not only everything you know, but humanity itself. It was this would, would this would this make like an Academy Award winning movie? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. If done correctly. Absolutely. This this could you be. You know what? I know I make a lot of promises. I swear to God, I'm gonna play this game next year. You I'm have to. You have and, and and all six endings because it's Absolutely. not hard to do uh, now. If, 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 for, what you, for what you said about the sixth ending. I have to like yeah. there's not even a question in my mind like I have to now now 
playing through the game six times, you might think, oh, I'm, this is going to take two, three hundred hours. No, I finished it in 50 hours and that's all six endings. But that's because you finished the game once in like 30 and it may have been. No, I'm sorry. It was like 60 to 70 hours when I after six endings. But you finish the game once. It takes like 30 hours. You play it again. You get like five or 10 more hours. But starting with like ending three, you could start jumping around and you can pick where you start from. So you are going to want to follow a guide to get all six endings because there's there's a quick way to do it to where you're not literally having to play the game from start to finish six different times. Um, because you could pick from a certain spot and choose a different choice at one point in the game, which will then open up the next ending. And then starting with ending four, ending four and five are literally just once you play through the game, starting with ending four or after ending three and you start the game in the fourth playthrough and you play through it. There's a choice you can make at the very end of that playthrough and that'll get you ending four and then that'll get you ending five and then you just finish the game again and that gets you ending six. So it it doesn't really take that long because literally you can jump to the end of the game, finish it and get ending six. So you like you're literally jumping to the last battle. So it's super easy to do to get all six endings. And uh, yeah, Nier Automata, I really feel like uh, one of the greatest achievements in gaming, but one of the greatest games ever made as well because of just the the storytelling that it was able to do. Um, And I I know they're working on a third because they've already confirmed that that because Nier Automata has blown Square Enix's expectations out of the water. The game is like three, four, five million sold. No one ever expected it to do that. But it's because of the impact the game had through the people that originally adopted it, like myself and the word of mouth of us promoting this game and talking about how amazing it is that the game continues to break milestones and sales records over and over and over again. So we know they're working on a third. I cannot wait to see what Yoko Taro and his team are able to do with uh, with another near, because I don't know that they'll ever be able to top this game, dude. I just don't. But I'm but I'm I'm hoping that they can 20 bucks best uh, best by Friday. So I know I know. So good pick up for you to get it uh, if you do go there and play it next year. Um, But that's what I'm thankful for. So I thought that would be fun. Let us know down in the comments below if you're watching this version on YouTube or if you're listening on podcast services in your review. When you leave us a review, let us know what games you're thankful for, because I would be I would love to know what you are thankful for as well, whether that's your favorite game of all time, whether that's a game that led you to appreciate something about gaming or appreciate a particular franchise. We want to interact with you. We want to know what games you are thankful for as well. So so let us know. Reach out to us. You can I mean, even through social media, just let us know. We want to interact and we want to know what your favorite games are as well or not favorite games, but your thankful games. But I think it's time. I think it's time to transition because that sound means it's time for a little kickstart my heart in this extremely extended episode of the Maximal <laughs> Podcast. We're about to hit the two and a half hour mark. I got a good one here, though, that you are going to fall in love with. That needs some help. It needs some help. It's an action platformer inspired by Mega Man Zero and Mega Man X, focusing on fluid movement and combat. As of time of recording, there's 27 days to go. It's sitting at about $2,000 of its $20,000 goal. The game is called Gigabuster, and it's a fiery action platformer, and it does have a demo available. I tried to play the demo, but it wasn't working when I tried to play it the other day. Um, it, but because it's not a game, that, it's not a demo that you can download. It's literally like a flash demo on a website. Uh. So I, I tried to play the demo, and it wasn't working out too well. 
Uh, features of this game, but the gifts look fantastic. Features of this game. Liz must stop mergers with the GEC, a monopoly funding happiness. There are nine companies to break into, delivered in sets of three that you can tackle in any order, including a hub world linking them all together. A lot of movement options, both classic and new. Dashing, dash jumping, wall jumping, dash wall jumping, along with a grappling hook, free climbing fences, grabbing ceilings, dive kicking, rail grinding, and more. Special abilities that are either tied to button combinations or have their own dedicated buttons. A combo meter to shoot big lasers, dash through enemies, and overall look very cool with. Shop for upgrades and find armor that displays visually, including heroic scarves and very red neckties. <laughs> cool weapons like baseball bats and halberds. Lots of power-ups and exploring and a colorful cast of very normal, well-adjusted everyday CEOs to argue with. Uh, Gigabuster will be launching on Steam with Windows, Mac, and Linux versions. Uh, they also said that if they hit $50,000, which I don't think they will, but if they hit $50,000, they will port it to the Nintendo Switch. Uh, Gigabuster will get you in and out of the action as fast as possible. All dialogue and cinematics are skippable, including the intro stage for repeat playthroughs. You start the game with an array of abilities, including air dashing, double jumping, auto charging, etc. The movement will t let you toss yourself around levels as fast as you like. Upgrades will only expand your basic abilities further. Uh, in terms of the story, after the sudden disappearance of the CZEVY Corporation's CEO, the position fell to his son, Lou. A change in direction followed. The company invested heavily in GI, an advanced form of artificial intelligence, acquiring the NUN Research Company and beginning work on the Happiness Project. The process was wrought with problems, delays, bugs, erratic behavior. These, these problems were ultimately solved when Lou proposed using another human as a canvas for the GI's personality. Happiness became a pet project of Lou's. A year later, happiness became a powerful tool for C... This is so hard. C-Z-E-V-Y. So powerful, in fact, that outside investment began pouring in. And just as NUN was poached by C-Z-E-V-Y, C-Z-E-V-Y became the target of much larger, more powerful companies. Lou lost control over it. This resulted in several mergers narrowing down to three other global corporations. The resulting four-way merger completed and the GEC was born. Lou lost influence, becoming one of four heads in the new company. As time passed, the GEC's true motivations crept into the surface. While GI was a powerful tool for running companies, it would be even more powerful for running governments. Despite Lou's protests, calling GI too unstable to be involved in governance, the GEC's outreach earned it a meeting with Mayor Fuan to sell him on GI's usage in the future of his city. But someone within the company had other plans. Lou, still the public face of the GEC, stands at the mayor's office with his life's work, happiness, waiting to begin their highly televised meeting. Unfortunately, there's been a slight delay, as he convinced an unexpected guest to join. Someone very important. It'll be easy. All you have to do is aim and pull the trigger. So they are released. They are aiming to release this in the first half of 2019. So literally, they're aiming for March 2019. So this is uh, potentially going to be a, a quick turnaround type of a game. So based off of the gifts we're seeing here, based off of that trailer, and based off of we know that the inspiration is Mega Man X and Mega Man Zero. Oh, you tell me in a heartbeat. What are you thinking on this? I hope it makes it. I don't think it will. Uh, what? It's, it's going to be tough. There's, again, they're sitting at uh, just shy of $2,000 of their $20,000 goal with uh, 27 days to go out of time of recording. 
Uh, the cheapest way to get into the game would be the $15 tier or supervisor roll. You're going to do it? Yeah. Just to try to help it out? You know, why not? Plus, I want to play the game, so. Yeah, get you a digital copy of the game plus your name in the credits. The, the traditional rewards for the uh, the introductory tier. So, uh, I do hope this makes it as well. I'm going to try to play the demo again and, uh, and hope that it works. Because, like I said, the last time I tried it, uh, it was not working properly. So, I would like to try it and see exactly how it runs but the uh, the gameplay videos that they're showing and the gifts that they're showing look phenomenal they look stellar it, it really looks like Mega Man 11 it does and that's not a bad thing because Mega Man 11 was a good game so I do hope this makes it as well uh, we'll have to keep an eye on it as it gets closer to reaching its end goal and see if it does make it but I don't want to spend too much time in kickstart my heart this week because it's been an extended episode so I do think that's going to bring us to the close of the show unless you have anything else you want to talk about before we get on out of here you want another dad joke? No. No, we're good. Okay. That's going to okay. do it for this week. <laughs> <laughs> we want to thank you for sticking with us and listening to another episode of Max Level made possible by leveldowngames.com. And thanks again to Dance with the Dead for all the awesome music. Regardless of the podcast service you're listening through, be sure to show your support by leaving a rating and a review, especially if you're listening through iTunes. We'd also be grateful if you could drop on over to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash leveldowngames and subscribe to our channel there if you haven't already. We can also be found over at twitch.tv slash leveldowngames for all the live streams and event coverage and on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook if you want to follow us across social media. Check that description box for the appropriate links. Until next week, keep gaining experience until you reach max level. And if you're in America... Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs>